We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on into an NFL Week 12 Thanksgiving Week edition of the RoadWire Fantasy Football Podcast, a loaded slate of games. We got three games on Thursday. We even have a game on Black Friday as well. No teams are on by, so everyone's in action. Huge week for fantasy purposes. We got the playoffs coming up, of course. So if you're right on the border, you're going to want to take a listen to this. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 12. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. If you're uh, joining us live on the YouTube uh, stream, I, I make this joke every year around this time. But as a true internetsman, uh, if you're confused by my background, I am podcasting from my mother's house. So that that's why it looks a little bit different uh, that, than uh, the usual setup here. That This isn't uh, totally my style, but you know, hey, I, I think it adds a, a bit of gravitas. Is that a wallpaper or a blanket on the wall? It is a wallpaper. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, how you say rustic. It's far out, man. It's mm. wild. <laughs> but uh, yeah, beyond that, uh, business as usual here. We obviously have Thanksgiving coming up this week on Thursday. And therefore, we've got three games uh, to enjoy uh, along with our turkey and our stuffing and all that good stuff. So why don't we just go ahead and dig right in. Let's start things out in Detroit. We've got the Lions playing the Packers. We got the Lions set as a seven and a half point favorite in this one. This is kind of an interesting one because the Lions, obviously, I, I think the mark of a good team generally is you can play your B minus C plus game and still find a way to win in the, in the NFL. And that's kind of what the Lions did uh, last week against the Bears. Bears obviously had ju- just gotten Justin Fields back for the first time in about a month. And then on the other side, that the Packers, you can't say much about beating the, the Chargers, it feels like. But, no. but at the same time, when, when, when you're the Packers, that, I mean, at, at, you're looking for anything uh, that, that's positive. So I think that there, there definitely is something to be said uh, for that. These teams have already met once this year on, on a Thursday night game. Earlier this season, the Lions went into Lambeau and kind of wrecked shop, frankly. Um, but what do you expect here? 
were you surprised by the line being set at more than a touchdown in, in this one? And, uh, you know, what are we, what are we expecting here? Well, uh, the Lions should win pretty easily, in my opinion. I guess the question is, like, does Green Bay manage to maintain any dignity at all? Or are they going to kind of just get wrecked and, you know, just just flail around until they're mercilessly, um, mercilessly the game is ended? Um, I still don't think Jordan Love is any good. Uh, I know he's he's had some, I guess, uh, moments that are more encouraging than others. But overall, it doesn't seem good to me which, you know, that would cut against the otherwise uh, kind of cause for optimism that they have about all these receivers. I know Wicks is probably out with a concussion, but uh, even as, you know, a Christian Watson kind of uh, hater last year uh, as a prospect, I mean, um, as a prospect going ahead of George Pickens, or or at least uh, I would even say, you know, Watson is still a useful player. He has been really quiet lately. I would blame that mostly on love, but uh, I think, you know, Wicks emerging has kind of been at the expense of Watson's intermediate opportunities. Like some of those intermediate opportunities were dialed up for him last year. He was getting all of them. And then this year, it's been more like North Dakota State Christian Watson, where it's like he's either getting a target 40 yards downfield or he's not getting a target at all. And and they were kind of do the end arounds to try to bridge that gap. But uh, in this game, they could really use Watson getting going again because those Detroit corners, all three of them, uh, Sutton, branch in the slot uh the other one uh jerry jacobs on the boundary those guys are more inclined to play downhill they're corners that you as a defensive coordinator want to keep the ball in front of them you don't want them turning and running downfield too much and watson is specifically the kind of receiver that makes a corner turn and run and uh maybe jordan love just misses maybe i guess the maybe the detroit pass rush gets there before watson can get open downfield but the Packers, I think, really, if, if they're going to make this competitive at all, they need to get those Detroit co- Detroit corners to turn and run because it's it's quite simply what they don't want to do. And, uh, you know, that's, that's I guess, I, I would think a starting point for any offense is, like, what does the defense not want to do? Do that. And uh, easier said than done getting the ball there, though. No, absolutely. So, what? Yeah, there there are the soft spots potentially in that uh in that Detroit secondary when when it comes to uh the backfield. We I mean the the Packers I would say generally are, are banged up going into this one. Luke Musgrave is dinged up. Aaron Jones unlikely to play. AJ Dillon props up on the injury report in his own right, and Emmanuel Wilson also on the injury report. So um, if we're chasing any sort of fantasy opportunity for you know for DFS purposes or you know if you're if you're pinched. In season long, if you don't have Aaron Jones and you've been scouring the waiver wire, you know what do we expect here from this uh, Green Bay run run offense? Well, uh, I would figure the Detroit run defense is a little better than the pass defense. I know the the pass defense is fine. I just uh, I think those corners need to be hidden to play well, and uh, I, I think I'd, as Green Bay, I'd rather test my receivers against those guys than try to get age. You know, especially if he's hobbled. AJ Dillon going um, to any notable extent, especially when, you know, the game script is probably going to pull them away from that anyway. I'm kind of, I'm intrigued by uh, the Emmanuel Wilson guy. He's he's pretty interesting. And, you know, the the preseason doesn't mean anything to me, but uh, the guy always does a pretty good job when he gets a shot. So he's, he's interesting. If you're doing, you know, a, a Thanksgiving DFS slate and Jones is scratched. I'd almost be about as interested in Wilson as Dylan, just because I assume Wilson's like, you know, a fourth the price or something like that. So it's kind of interesting. It's just, 
it doesn't to me project as a a part of a game plan that works for them. You know, if if they're if they're trying to run the ball a lot early, I think they're just going to kind of punt a lot early. The way the run yeah. game going more likely is if if they can keep the Detroit defense on the field long enough, you know, move the chains long enough to kind of get in a groove as an offense and, you know, start setting up enough looks to play counter looks off of them. That's when the run game gets going or, you know, if, if by some miracle they have a lead, that's when they maybe can get the run game going. But if they try to just run at the beginning, uh, the way that the lions try to run at the beginning of any given game, the Packers are not going to be rewarded for it. They just don't have the personnel to do it. No, they, they don't. Um, you know, Aaron Jones is such a key component there. And again, looking unlikely that he's going to be available. So Keep an eye on Emmanuel Wilson. I did scoop him in off the waiver wire in, in a couple spots. So as long as he's active and ready to go uh, for, for Thursday, I, I'm definitely interested uh, in him. Let's flip it over to, to the Detroit uh, side of things. Kind of a, an odd game last week. Jared Goff had his first multi-turnover game of the season so against the Bears. Uh, <laughs> there of all places against that team of all teams. It, right, exactly. And, and at home. Uh, so that was it. You know, interesting, but but at the same time, that the Lions still found a way to to get it done. Um, what's the kind of temperature check right now on on this uh, Detroit backfield now that Montgomery and Gibbs have been coexisting once again for the last two weeks? Well, uh, I think it's safe to say that when the Lions fall behind, like they did briefly against the Bears, it's going to suit Gibbs a little bit more than Montgomery, just because Gibbs is. Uh, now that Montgomery isn't a decent pass catcher, he's, he's probably totally decent. Uh, Gibbs is on the top five sort of distinction, though. So when they start throwing all the time, it kind of makes sense that Gibbs would sort of just take hold of the backfield and, and do what he did last week, catch six passes. So that uh, that kind of outcome is, is always possible against Green Bay. Uh, I don't know if I expect the game to be that close or at least if it's close, I think it'll be more like. Detroit has um, some amount of a lead, maybe not enough of a lead to make the Packers look like they're completely, you know, neutralized, but a, a lead nonetheless. And if in that sort of scenario, Montgomery probably has a little bit um, not bigger share than Gibbs overall, but a, a bigger share relative to the scenario last week. So uh, maybe something more like 30 snaps to 30 snaps than the 33 to 24 that was in Gibbs's favor last week. And um, if it's toward that, distribution it's tougher for Gibbs to get into that running back one kind of territory but it it does I think make likely that both of them are in at least a top you know 24 running back but more likely both top 20 running backs uh at the same time Detroit runs so much the the running situation is so favorable when they do run that two running backs can coexist in this offense especially when you know they're both quite good and have uh you know uh they call it uh, they have specifically distinguished functions and both functions are always in play in the offense. So, uh, yeah, we, we know when Montgomery's out of the way, Gibbs can be like a top five fantasy back. But uh, hopefully it's not too painful for his own uh, his owners to instead get something like, you know, running back 18 to 20 or something like that when they when they are both rolling. Yeah, I think both are definitely viable starts. Uh, in this setup and then uh, your thoughts on Jamison Williams coming coming on a little bit in recent weeks that's a tough one for me because I never truly lost the faith with Jamison Williams I lost the faith and I still 
am struggling to, to get it with uh, Detroit specifically and how he fits in that offense specifically, how he fits with Jared Goff's game. Those things are a little concerning to me, but I feel like Williams is clearly good. I, I just, I kind of worry that they don't in this offense have the need for or an ability to utilize a player of his abilities. Like the, his abilities are downfield. It's it's clearly, even if he gets better as an underneath over the middle kind of receiver, the reason Jameson Williams was so good at Alabama is because he's so good as a downfield threat. And Jared Goff categorically cannot make those throws. Like he can't do it. The few times he can, it's it's either a busted coverage if the if the play is like a normal drop back or it's on play action and you know the the safety kind of slipped when he's turning to run and the guy got wide open and Goff uh, almost in a flea flicker like setup finally has the ability to hit downfield but he's just not able to make that play normally so the offense is going to continue to no matter how wide open Jameson Williams gets the offense is still going to run far and away through St. Brown, the running backs, and even Laporta over Jameson Williams. So when we're talking about, you know, a, a, a fourth or fifth in line kind of pass catcher uh, with a quarterback like Goff, who has pretty strict volume limitations, pretty strict uh, situational limitations, I don't know how, how Jameson becomes much more than just kind of like an expensive decoy who who occasionally makes a play when, whenever, you know, like I said, the the whenever the play setup is super clean for golf yeah james williams can strike i just i worry he can't make the the dirty plays like saint brown can you know right no exactly i always was worried about the fit with with james williams because i think both of us probably had him as the wide receiver one uh in last year's class uh even coming off of that knee injury that he that he suffered uh yeah he's he's an unbelievable uh speed uh type of type of uh threat but Again, like you alluded to there or broke down, just that doesn't really marry up with, with Goff's game so much. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about someone where you're if you play him or if you if you throw him in uh, your DFS lineup, it's a thin margin for error. You're pretty much hoping for two catches, one of which is a is a touchdown of, of some uh, length. But but otherwise, you know, you're not you're not going to be racking up the the dirty plays, the, the catches over the middle where, you know, you can kind of, uh, you know, pad your stats PPR wise. Um, of course. And then Eric wants to know um, if we are sleeping on Christian Watson with all the injuries, would you start him over guys like Tyler Lockett, Josh Downs, or Demario Douglas this week? Uh, maybe one of the last two, probably not, probably not a Lockett, but let me see who the Colts got again. Um, Buccaneers. Uh, I'd play him. I'd, hmm. I like Josh Downs. I, I think Josh Downs is totally good. And I, I understand that the Tampa Bay pass defense has been kind of weak lately. So it's totally reasonable to roll with him as well. But I, because if Wicks is out, I, I probably lean Watson over Downs in this case. I can't tell if that's me getting kind of greedy about the big play, but I, I just feel like the big play could be there. And uh, again, even as someone who was like a critic of Watson last year, and certainly the selection, the trade up by Green Bay for Watson. I don't think he's as bad as people are kind of just starting to f assume about him. I think it's like what we're seeing is uh, struggles because it's a small pie in Green Bay and there's a lot of competent, qualified players fighting for it. And uh, like two of them are out in this case. So I, I, I'd probably play Watson over Downs. Yeah. And catch up script 
um, I, I think also should probably uh, work in, in Watson's favor there. Um, we'll see if, if Jordan Love can, you know, kind of continue what he was able to do last week, although totally defensive or different defensive setup going from Chargers at home to Lions on the road. Um, let's get on to the afternoon Thanksgiving game. We've got the the commanders going to Dallas, a classic rivalry. Uh, we've got the, the Cowboys favored by 10 and a half points or 11, depending on where you're looking. Washington. I, I simply cannot figure them out uh, that, you know, they, they play the close games against Seattle, both the games against the Eagles. They lost twice to the Giants twice, one of which was to Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito <laughs> threw multiple touchdowns in that game. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think we got to consider the possibility that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio are pretty bad at their jobs and um at this point and probably at a long ago past point have only had jobs, their, their particular jobs anyway, in the NFL, because it's a, it's an old boys club. You know, it's, there's a lot of favors owed to, to guys who have been in the league that long. They just kind of have a way of uh, be remaining made men, you know, uh, no matter how bad it gets, uh, at least, you know, as long as there's a, a Dan Snyder out there, there there's, you know, a, a role for guys like this. And, uh, it's been this bad uh, or not quite this bad. I guess maybe the talent kind of covered it up a little bit in the past, but Del Rio as a defensive coordinator is just so bad. And it, you have to wonder like, what exactly does he do all day? Like why, why, why does he do these things? I don't understand how he, how he cooks it up and how he like sits there for a moment and is like, this seems like a good idea. I got to remember to do, I got to remember to cut loose, uh, Slayton and Barkley on the sideline over and over and over. Uh, I have to, I have to that play against the Bears with DJ Mork beating Kendall Fuller. Like, why do you call a suicide blitz and then have your corners jumping the routes? That's crazy. What it, you do everything backward. It's 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 absolutely wild. Um, Del Rio is the kind of bad that can negate any amount of defensive talent. And uh, they don't even have that much talent going for them anymore in light of the sweat and the Trace Young trade. So uh Washington's just really that bad I think they'll play with like a little more maybe not pride but focus in this case like maybe they kind of got uh maybe they maybe they were kind of like Tommy DeVito week let's you know let's let's screw off I have no idea John but let's go to uh, Camelot. They're, they're probably gonna they're probably gonna feel a little stupid about that maybe for like a quarter they, they play with some amount of dignity scrappiness uh I don't know what you call it but eventually Dallas I think just blast the doors off of this defense and one thing in particular makes it look like a just doomed matchup for Washington in my opinion is that Dallas has started uh, for I guess for some time they've been using CD Lamb as their primary slot receiver and the primary slot corner for Washington is this Benjamin St. Juiced who's basically like a strong safety who's too skinny and tall to play safety so they put him at corner uh, even though he's in my opinion not very good anyway him versus CD Lamb is deeply unfair and <laughs> I don't know what Washington can really do to really hide him. I don't know what, I, especially Jack. Del, if there's a way to hide St. Juiced from CD lamb, are we really going to suppose Jack Del Rio is one of the like top 150 people on earth to figure that out? I, I can't convince myself that. So I, I would think the, the bigger threat to CD lamb's production in this game is, is just the game getting out of hand and kind of uh, if, if Dallas is like, you know, 
even uh, Jalen Tolbert and Michael Gallup are getting open. Like stuff like that would have to be the way that Lamb falls flat here. You're not going to have Dallas, in my opinion, you're not going to have Dallas going into halftime with like Dak Prescott at 100 yards and CeeDee Lamb at 30. It's like if 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 CeeDee Lamb's at 30, it's because Dak has like 203 touchdowns and then the guys like Turpin are getting in on it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I, I think it's good enough setup there for for Lamb. That's an interesting call on on his recent usage in the matchup. I, I think on the other end, um, at Dallas that that pass rush. I think uh, I hope they get the the ice bath ready for for Sam Howell. This uh, is an experiment I, I, to say the least. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, that's that's not going to be, be good. Do you think we can and, get to twelve sacks? What what can we get to here? <laughs> I, yeah, let, let's let's say that we can, and then um, I, I have one. I have one uh, prop for for the people that I, I wanted to, to toss out there. Um, first touchdowns obviously open you up to a ton of variance, but I, I think in this setup, uh, Dallas is the team that I would expect to score the first touchdown. Uh, Jake Ferguson actually leads the league in red zone targets among tight ends. He's got oh, four wow. touchdowns. I like him to score the first touchdown. You can get that at plus seven fifty at DraftKings. Okay. So just bear that's, that in mind, that's folks. A, that's a good one. Yeah. If uh, yeah, I'll be playing that. So give me give me a shout on on Twitter at John's underscore store underscore tailgate uh, if you're doing that too, because uh, I'll, I'll be in on that. I'll be uh, voraciously watching for that first touchdown and then probably going back to eating uh, too much food. Um, any other thoughts on this game before we move on? I, I suppose Washington's offense, a quick snapshot there of what we can expect other than Sam Howell getting sacked. Yeah, so uh, Curtis Samuel got ejected from the last game. I think in this one, if he doesn't get ejected, he'll probably go back to being like a real nuisance for Jahan Dotson's investors. Uh, I kind of worry that with the with Sam Howell having less time to throw than usual, He'll do he'll get few uh, through fewer reads than usual. And in effect, I think they're going to be kind of working with a system of like checking down to Samuel uh, whenever the pressure is there and the pressure could be there kind of constantly. And in the event that they do manage to get into a decent drop in, in depth uh, for Howell and his drop back, then Terry McLaurin immediately becomes like the the first person who's likely to get the look if there is a downfield look to give. So I kind of worry that it's like, you know, Samuel Trump's Dotson low, McLaurin high, and then nothing else is really going on here. But, uh, you know, if, if Dallas cuts him loose, I still think Dotson's good. I just I just don't know if Dallas is really going to do that here. No, I, I'm, I'm not sure of that either. Uh, so for for redraft leagues, Dotson is no longer really on my radar. I do have tons of him in, in best ball. So I'm hoping for something but I'm not expecting it. Um, before we get on over to our next game, got a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Stack the best seat in the sun with daybeds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sportsbook, Circus Sports, for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bar, stadium-style food, and more. 
Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. The big game parties only at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. Up next, a game that it could have been so much better uh, if not for for Gino getting banged up uh, in Sunday's game and and obviously Kenneth Walker uh, getting dinged up as well. Uh, We've seen the line for this game swell. Uh, I think two and a half full points uh, over the course of the last few days. It was four and a half going into Sunday. Now it is seven in favor of the San Francisco 49ers as they go up to Seattle to face the Seahawks. Yeah, I would expect um, I would expect this to be a pretty tough game for Seattle. I mean, I had hopes of them taking this division previously, but I'm kind of, uh, you know, not even really hopeful that they'll be a, a particularly lively playoff team. Like they've just they, they've got a shot, I guess, but they've just got a it's been too bumpy on offense in a way that just feels like they've been kind of like swimming upstream uh, against the stream, whatever it is. And uh, going against the 49ers, it's like unless unless the unless Seattle has been saving a bunch of tricks specifically for this game. I, I feel like the the you know the natures of these two teams is just that it's it's easily in the favor of um, the 49ers. So we'll see. Uh, the, the 49ers have been doing some shuffling in their secondary personnel. Like they've they've moved Diamador Lenore into the slot and put Ambry Thomas opposite Traverius Ward. Ambry Thomas had struggled a lot the past two years, as did Lenore. But uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, if Lenore can be better in the slot than Isaiah Oliver was, and if so, then uh, maybe the 49ers can kind of get their pass defense in order. But if they if they can't really uh, if if the if uh, the Seattle offense can stress the corner depth for the 49ers, that's when we see the 49ers defense struggle. Like you might have noticed, they've kind of given up a lot to receivers this year, but it's only in it's only with offenses that can like threaten with three receivers or more at a time, because you got to get that third corner on the field, ideally the fourth too, because Traverius Ward is very good. And uh, when you play big against the 49ers, they just kind of are, are stronger than you and going wide with going three wide in this game is kind of what Seattle needs to do in my opinion, but I don't know how much that suits them. And especially if Gino isn't right. Uh, Right. I don't know. seems kind of difficult to me. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle. And I, I think that midseason swoon that, that the 49ers uh, went through, I think we're clearly on the other side of it. Kind of the, the common denominator is Purdy not turning the ball over. He's got six touchdowns and no interceptions uh, in his last two games since the bye. Obviously, throwing picks what was a huge uh, factor in, in that three-game losing skid that they had. I think that the I think the Niners go up there and cook. I think they make a, another statement in front of everyone on on national television. I don't, I just it's kind of an unfair fight because I think Seattle is so uh, shorthanded in this one. Like even if the, those guys end up being available, you can't expect them to be a hundred percent on a short week. So I, I think the Niners are, are going to crush. I, I've I've looked at some props for this game as well. Uh, I like the odds on, on McCaffrey. Uh, scoring more than one touchdown. I think that's like about yeah. five to one at mo- most sports books. I think that, you know, something like that is definitely in line. It's difficult to predict uh, on a per game basis, if whether it's going to be Ayuk, Kittle um, or Debo being the the big kind of impact guy, guy in, in the, in the uh, passing game. But 
McCaffrey's the constant. Really like his setup uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, how do you think that that the Seahawks try to like funnel uh, those pass catchers? You know, are, are they going to take away one of those guys in particular? Does it does that uh, Seattle secondary set up one way where yeah, what one guy Ayuk or Kittle or, or Debo really does have an advantage here? That's tough. I think uh, because it's. I think often it comes down to what Shanahan just wants to do that week. Not to say that it's just as simple as Shanahan deciding lately, like this is, this will be Brandon Ayuk's month or, you know, whatever the explanation would have to be for how red hot Ayuk has been. Uh, I think though, that if, if Shanahan like really wants to get someone going, he can. And uh, it might've spoken to kind of the ease with which Ayuk was winning his matchups or, or even Kittle, I guess maybe the, maybe the tight end coverage matchups were so favorable to him. Maybe that's why they're hot and why Debo Samuel has kind of um, been quiet lately. But I think this is if if it's if it's not for the Shanahan effect, if it's not for having you know favorable setups, scheming open wide open spaces for him, I feel like this looks like a difficult game for Debo Samuel. If only because uh, guys like Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon are definitely more able to defend themselves from kind of a, a physical bully like Debo Samuel is uh, like Tariq Willen's probably the biggest corner in league history or something. And then Devin Witherspoon, he's not that big, but he's, he's got a strong safety mentality. Like he he's his underneath game, his ability to pursue ball carriers. It has to be, you know, some of the best in a long time. So if Debo Samuel is going to play as an underneath oriented uh, yards after the catch kind of guy, I'm not sure this is the easiest defense. Those those two corners, anyway, I'm not sure are the easiest matchups for that. But if they can get Debo against Trey Brown, who's much lighter, that doesn't seem like a good tackle setup for Seahawks. And, you know, they, they also have ways of getting Debo the ball as a ball carrier and in, you know, the middle of the field against more so kind of like linebackers and stuff like that. So I don't mean to make it – I don't want to count him out or anything. It's just it might be a little tiny bit easier, assuming they can manage the uh, Seattle pass rush, which it, it's – it's getting better than it's been in a few years. Uh, I, you should be able to beat those corners downfield and even Witherspoon as good as he's been, he can't turn and run at all. So uh, it, it's woolen who can turn and run and Brown can turn and run a little bit, but then if it's on Brown, I think Ayuk can probably bully him because, because Brown's only like 180 pounds or something. So there should be options. It's just kind of like uh, to some extent, like what, what is the Seattle pass rush going to dictate and what does Shanahan just kind of feel like game planning here yeah so I, I think either way uh the Niners are too loaded and playing too well right now uh to to follow this one up I I, I wish we were going to get treated to a, a better game here but I can't see it I was already a little I mean, bit skeptical of the Seahawks going into last week I thought the Rams were going to win that game somehow they did uh, for what it's uh, worth I mean I do think the Seattle can threaten that pass defense of the 49ers if they have a quarterback who can kind of throw those passes but yeah it's like very specifically the Seahawks need to get DK Metcalf against Ambry Thomas and they if they have DK Metcalf running against Traverius Ward that's just making everything more difficult for themselves no absolutely it's gonna I just can't really see it with with the Seahawks uh this week uh let's get on over to something pretty novel Mario, we got a Friday afternoon game in the NFL, Black Friday, first one ever, I believe. Uh, the Dolphins going up to the Meadowlands to, to face the Jets. And Tim Boyle, 
at quarterback for for your New York football we Jets. We made it. We made it. We did it. It's finally here. Uh, as a result, the Dolphins are ten point favorites on the That's road. That's all. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tim Boyle. On the one hand, I mean, I know Zach Wilson's been incredibly bad. He, he's he's a disturbingly bad quarterback. But Tim Boyle is like the the, the just like. I don't know. It, it's hard to put into words how bad of a quarterback he is. He he was so bad in college that he was, what, the quarterback three or four at UConn? I can't remember what great guys they had ahead of him, but uh, he, he was the <laughs> third or fourth one. And then he, Yeah, yeah, Olavsky. Uh And then Boyle transferred to, like, Eastern Kentucky or something like that and was also incredibly bad there. He had, like, nine touchdowns to 12 interceptions or something his last year. This guy put up numbers – at low levels of collegiate play that we haven't seen since like Scott Zolak era quarterbacks, like back when everybody back when like a, th- like two thirds of the quarterbacks drafted would struggle to complete 50% of their passes in college back when, you know, before all the penalties and stuff, that's Tim Boyle's kind of production profile from today. So I have no idea why he's been in the league at all. I don't know why he was with the lions. I don't know why the jets had his phone number, let alone called it and signed him doesn't make any sense to me. Trevor Simeon is clearly better. Uh, yeah, I guess we can skip to the ending on this. They're going to eventually bench um, what's his name, and then Trevor Simeon will start, and that will be awful too, but they'll be like, hey, it's a lot better than uh, you know Boyle, so that's great. Uh, this this game against the Dolphins defense, like it's not a tough defense in my opinion, but Boyle cannot play. Like I don't I don't know if he can do anything. So Yes. The question is, is, is like when, not if Simeon will eventually be put onto the field for this wretched team. So what, what do you do about guys like Brees Hall and, and Garrett Wilson in this setup? I know that, um, you know, the, the Dolphins run defense has been a little bit better um, over the last few weeks, really held uh, Josh Jacobs in check last week, I think under 40 yards. And then, you know, the, the, there's a lot of playmakers in, in that Miami defense. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a defensive touchdown, from the Dolphins in this one either. But, you know, what? when you have guys that are difficult to bench, like a a Wilson or, or a Brees Hall, is something like moving to Tim Boyle enough to where you're like, oh, I just, I got to have a better option than them. Well, I think you're starting them both. And it's just one of those things where you have to just accept. It's unfair, but they're not going to get the opportunity level that they could, should get. And uh, therefore, though Hall and, and Wilson would both project for just total monster numbers here with, you know, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, they're going to have to scrape and claw for barely anything. And um, they'll they'll get that. The, like, you know, Hall is doing a lot as a pass catcher to offset these really bad rushing returns. But it's like he's always going to get nine defenders in the box. Wilson's always going to get double teamed. And uh, I don't know if I trust Boyle to complete a pass to a wide open or like single coverage Alan Lazard. It's just, uh, it might be asking too much. So as much as I, I think Zach Wilson's terrible, I could never see Tim Boyle having, you know, a good season at BYU. So how am I going to, how am I going to say Zach Wilson is actually worse than Boyle? It just, it, I guess it's possible. It just doesn't seem like it is. And, uh, yeah, where maybe if if the average game with Zach Wilson for Garrett Wilson resulted in you know fourteen targets for seven catches and seventy five yards, I think it's like five catches for sixty five if you rerun the simulation with Boyle. Okay, 
Yeah, but I, I liked uh, like Boyle's quote yesterday. Like, you got to have sort of a unrealistically confident mentality if you're a guy like him. Like, you got to just feel like you, you can't miss out there. But it, it's just like you, you know, I what respect did he say? that. Sorry, I missed this. Yeah, he was just like, I go in there with the mentality like, I just can't miss, and it's like, yeah, no, you have to. You you can't you can't feel safe whatsoever. You, uh, you have to just feel like you you're going for gold every every single time. But yeah, boy howdy, I, I do not expect it to uh, to go particularly well uh, for for him. Luckily, everyone will will kind of be in food comas during this game anyway. So it is what it is. Uh, I know the the big fantasy wrinkle on the other side of this one is what's up with Devin Achan. Uh, he is expected to practice on Wednesday, so we are recording. Obviously, a day early this week. Uh, that knee issue flared up again last week in his first game back. That was unfortunate, of course, because everyone felt like, hey, if he's playing, I'm going to start him. Uh, does that apply still this week? If if Achan is playing, do you start him in, in light of you know what, what happened last week, which was a calamity for fantasy managers? Yeah, uh, well, maybe maybe there's some kind of uh, th- thread there between like his his build and the injuries that have occurred. I have to assume that the injury was more so just a random aggravation, and uh, as opposed to you know him him being so brittle or whatever. So if he's supposed to play, I think generally you want to start him. However. You know, as much as no one wants to be the person who says, uh, like, no one wants to say Devin A. Chan is not a must start the week, uh, the day before he goes for like 100 and yard, 101 yards and two touchdowns on eight carries. We have to accept, too, that when we're talking about a guy who needs to get it done on eight carries, there will be weeks where he does almost nothing at all, even if he's even if he doesn't get hurt. There's going to be games where eight carries goes for 32 yards, which is fine normally, but you know, it's, it's when it comes down to 40 yard plus touchdowns, making the box score every week, Devin Achan will quite simply be one of the very best running backs ever, or he will have some weeks where it's fine to bench him. And it's just, it's a very risky game of which side you want to take, but there will be duds, even if he stays totally healthy, as long as he's getting fewer than 10 carries in a given game. And I think that offense is going to keep working that way. It's, it's, it's a cop-out answer on my part, I realize, but I just think it's permitted to, for, for a person who has a chance to, to view him as a must start or to consider benching him in any given week. I don't, I don't really know how to call it more than that. And d- does the Jets defense worry you at all in this particular setup or is Achan the, the type of guy where it's, it's matchup proof, like he could find the, the seam and, and go off for a touchdown against anybody or does the workload limitations in addition to the tough matchup make, make it a little bit uh, dicier to you? It's not an easy matchup. I guess if there's a reason to lean toward playing him anyway, uh, it, it might be that the jets are not projected to be able to make like uh, they're not projected to move the chains and hold on to the ball at all. And if their defense stays on the field long enough, they get a little bit gassed. Then a Chan is, you know, he goes, he goes from too fast to simply like beyond pursuit at that point. And uh, if he's, if he's going against, you know, CJ Mosley, when he's gassed, he can beat him to the corner when he's not gassed, of course, but it's like if that corner is going to be wide open for the turning, 
if if the Jets are are you know a step slow. So uh, I, I I would not fault anyone for for sitting a chan uh, for whatever reason. I just I wouldn't really make it for the matchup reason. It would be it would need to be more like. I got three other running backs who are projected for 15 plus carries this week, something like that. Um, So I guess similar kind of volume concern. Jalen Warren or Devin HN this week. Um, Sorry. uh, Probably Warren. Like I, I feel like he, he projects just for more touches and, uh, I know that A-Chan might literally project for twice as many yards per carry. It's just, I, I think A-Chan is going to settle into a modest, uh, you know, seven and a half yards of carry by the end of the year. I don't think this <laughs> 20, 10 yards of carry thing is going to keep happening. It would, people got to understand if A-Chan keeps doing that kind of stuff, it would be some of the craziest stuff the league has ever seen ever. Not right. Not just like, oh, that's a little wacky. It would be like, this has never happened. Nothing close to it has ever happened before. There may be a first along those lines to happen. Maybe HN is that one, but the the odds are minuscule, you know? Yeah, exactly. We're, we're looking at a, at a, a narrow range of outcomes as far as that's concerned. Um, Before we get on over to our next game, interesting question, not related to this game, but I too am curious about this one. PJ with the Heisenberg ABI, always like that. Uh, He wants to know, OBJ or Amari Cooper this week? Well, things are really bad with the Cleveland passing game, and it it sucks because, yeah, Cooper's been doing such a great job. It seemed he might have been playing better this year than he ever has, but I just don't know what you can do with these quarterbacks. Like, I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is clearly better than Walker, but I don't think Thompson-Robinson's any good either. So the, the tough thing with Odell, I guess, is is – he's um he's almost become a little bit like wide receiver Devin Achan in that uh he's always hurt or something and I mean not always with H it, Odell is always hurt I didn't mean to put yes. that on Achan uh but <laughs> in any case for the particular moment we're like wondering how healthy either one is and then you look at Odell Beckham and it's wow he's he's got you know this these long touchdowns three weeks or sorry two long touchdowns and then uh, a, a bunch of big plays against the Bengals. And in each case, it's like thir- 35, 15, 19 snaps. So how lucky are we feeling normally to, to, to just kind of, you know, assume that production will keep rolling on, on 20 or fewer snaps in a game. It, it's normally a long shot, but if the only alternative is Amari Cooper with these, you know, arena league quarterbacks, I think Beckham on 20 snaps with Lamar is worth more than Cooper on 60 snaps with Dorian Thompson Robinson. Maybe, maybe that's a little uh, dismissive of Cooper, but I don't mean to be, I I mean to quite, uh, I I mean, I mean to very much acknowledge that Cooper is very good and that it's not easy to dismiss him, but I just, I'd probably have to go with Odell really. Yeah. I'm on Odell too. in in this setup, I think it's very close. I don't think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see one of them blow the other one's production out of the water necessarily. I just think it's going to be more of a slog for Cooper. Um, we'll have to check in on Odell's injury status did hurt that shoulder or, you know, kind of aggravate that shoulder that's already been harnessed up, dinged up, uh, on that, uh, long play at the end of that Thursday night game. But, with Mark Andrews' removal from that offense, I think we're going to see a lot more targets flow out to the wide receivers. And, and Odell, he kind of looks like he still's got it a little bit. Um, he really does, man. I'm, I'm like, 
I don't even want to have the thought because I'm so worried about jinxing it by even perceiving it, but he pretty much looked back to his normal self on those plays. It's just that we know that he isn't truly because they would give him more snaps if he were. And it's like, God, how, how did it, how did he become at once like so explosive and so brittle at the same time? It's I don't remember anything quite like that, but I, I hope he stays healthy and I hope he keeps rolling because they really need him. They, they do. They absolutely do now. Uh, you know, like the, the old analogy about Odell being like a, a sports car where if it's even a little bit out of alignment, you know, it, it goes off the rails. That That's that's kind of probably he's why like they have a, the lid on his snaps. He's like a, a record-setting Rube Goldberg contraption or something. It's like it, it really <laughs> is like a, all these – so many of these conditions needing to be met all at the same time every time and – uh, I hope I hope it yeah I hope it turns for the better. It's it's frustrating to to see plays like that that he's made and then see him like and he's on the sideline again. Um, I hope my family likes my Rube Goldberg contraption that that I'm cooking the Thanksgiving dinner with. You know that it involves lighting a string on fire, then a bowling ball is going to fall down that flings the turkey into the oven. Uh, <laughs> the, the, so. Hopefully it works out. Um, it it you know we're we're going to throw the turkey to into the, the way. fryer. Yeah, sorry. It throws it into the deep fryer. The flames propel the uh, container it, it, onto it a roller coast coaster thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, <laughs> it's not done. Clearly, we're still working on it. Yeah, we're 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 gonna iron iron out the kinks this afternoon. I might light the shed on fire by 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 accident. Um, if you check my Twitter feed, the um, the American Safety Coalition or something had an amazing. Uh, real of uh deep yeah, fried yeah. turkey accidents but it also had techno playing in the background absolute electric video um so the, uh, i'll probably retweet that again you can make the the hue of the flames uh reveal the gender of the turkey <laughs> it's a boy and it's burning way too hot oh no um <laughs> but um that that'll do it for our uh rube goldberg uh, segment uh, before we get on to Sunday's games, we got a message from our friends over at Splash. Rotowire is proud to partner with Splash Sports for the 2023 fantasy football season. Splash Sports empowers gaming commissioners to earn by creating contests. Commissioners can set up contests, add their style, and enjoy the evolving Splash Sports platform for customized preferences. From daily to season long contests, the Splash Sports catches or caters, I'm sorry, to various playing styles such as DFS, Pickaxe, and traditional Survivor. I am so dead in Survivor, it is not even funny. And unlike traditional sports books, Splash Sports pits you against friends and family, not the house. Splash goes beyond betting, a space where friends can connect, strategize, and share in the excitement of sports. Rotowire will be running weekly DFS tiers contests on Splash Sports all season. Can you beat the Rotowire experts? Visit rotowire.com slash splash to enter. And we also have a message from our friends at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Sunday time. Uh, Saints, Falcons, split action here. We, we've got the Falcons as one-point home underdogs over BetMGM. We've had the Saints as one-and-a-half-point road underdogs at, over at FanDuel. we got the over-under set at a crisp 41-and-a-half at BetMGM. So, again, not surprising to anyone, not expecting a, a ton of points in this one, both these teams coming off the bye. We have the quarterback carousel continuing to spin in Atlanta. And we also are a little bit uncertain of what's going on with uh, the quarterback situation in New Orleans. What are we looking for here? Uh, it's bleak. B- both teams are very poorly run. And when you have teams mismanaged like these two are, it's, I think, a little bit even more of a randomizing effect. Like I, I think, you know, uh, Arthur Smith, he, he's had some games where you could almost mistake it for being like, Oh, that was a clever game plan by Atlanta, this or that. But I really just think it, especially at this point, it's safe to say that, uh, anytime the Falcons win is because the other team just blew it. And in a league where so many coaches are, are obviously incompetent and only have their jobs because of their like familial connections and stuff uh, with so many terrible quarterbacks in a league where they're throwing the ball more than ever. There's, there's going to be an amount of just week to week volatility, like a sort of just uh, like a meaninglessness in so many of the details because it all just kind of gets deferred to this randomizing aspect of like with this many bad teams, with this many, with, with this many wrong buttons being pushed all the time it's like it, it gives any team including the falcons a chance to win sometimes so uh dennis allen being as awful as he is has to be like it has to be a better matchup for the falcons than if they were going against even a much less talented team uh than the, than the saints have but with a better coach like i would i would much rather have smith 
if I had to put a you know a wager on Arthur Smith winning a game, it would be this one rather than against like the Rams, even though the Rams have terrible per- talent. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Saints are a talented team on both sides of the ball, but the returns haven't been there because the coaches are uh, you know they they are obstructively bad. So I don't know how much the talent to talent breakdown really bears through given all that and um you know saints have a lot more talent i just uh just can't really they just don't look like a real football team is the problem yeah and you know divisional game that this is kind of a, a weird uh divisional rivalry i think with the falcons being at home i would find a book where uh that they are the home underdog and i'd probably take the the falcons uh in this spot i think the falcons do kind of find a way to, to win ugly while also uh, making fantasy managers across the nation angry. Um, that's kind of their MO, uh, especially when they win. So um, that's, that's my lean here. Um, and then as, as far as Derek Carr is concerned, he's still in concussion protocol um, as of Monday. And obviously he also had uh, that shoulder issue um, if from the, the saints game as well. So, if he's out, do we do we kind of raise our projections for, yes. for guys like, like Chris Olave? Yes. Yeah, uh, Carr is so bad. Uh, any play where he sees like a hint of pressure, he just kind of stops running the offense. Like he's just he's just there, it's freezing up, and sort of just immediately just scans down not down the field. He he like scans down his own like field of vision, just looking for the quickest out, the quickest way out. And um, that's that's why you see so many of these plays where he's just throwing like hospital balls over the middle or just throwing it into the dirt over the middle. And he, he, he you can see him like tense up, freeze up. You can see his, his like elbow joints locking up when he when he sees just like a fifth defender anywhere. Like he, the, the guy can just pretend to blitz and Derek Carr will like fall over in fear of it. And he's not running the progression. So guys like Chris Olave get open. Carr is not really looking at them as they're running the route. He's just, he's, he's staring down straight ahead, trying to to spot us a moment where there's an opening where he can just drive the ball through and be done with it. And that's, that's why like when Olave is having all these drop passes from a month ago or whatever that game was, you'll notice the ball is never where Olave is going. It's always just kind of knuckleballed somewhere in his vicinity. And Carr just looks for like that knuckleball opportunity. He's like just somewhere where he can chuck the ball and not giving up an interception, that's that's about all he's really looking to do. He's not really looking to proactively make a play downfield. Whereas Jameis Winston, uh, it, it's totally the opposite, maybe to a detrimental extent. But he doesn't care. He's not afraid. He's going to chuck it. And oh, yeah. that, that has been a problem in other contexts. But when your starting point is Derek Carr, it is clearly an upgrade. Uh, the thing is, it's such a politically messy thing in a, such an incompetently run organization they probably will play the worst player if he's healthy. Even if they think yeah. he's worse, they, they will do it anyway because they don't want to admit what they've done, you know? Yeah, they don't want to admit that mistake uh, quite quite so, uh, you know, saying the quiet part out, out loud, to, which is what it would be uh, if they were to bench uh, Derek Carr in favor of uh, James Winston. So I wonder if they're just Hater. kind of hoping. Hater has kick- to be better. Oh, is he around? Well, is Hayner, he suspended? Yeah, he's roided up Jake Hayner. Um, uh, you know me. I would I would like to see a lot of Taysom Hill too, but in, in a lot of James yes, Winston. Yes. Like let's let's get some maximum entertaining uh elements to this game that that otherwise is is kind of lacking them. 
And then a guy who was an interesting waiver wire stash last week with the Saints being on a bye, or maybe uh, he was available on your waiver wires this week, but with Michael Thomas moving to IR, what are your thoughts on A.T. Perry? He was a favorite of mine uh, in college football DFS during his time at Wake Forest. He he kind of fits the, the mold. Like the Saints always seem to have a guy like him uh, where, you know, kind of an oversized but skinny uh, productive player, you know, a, a la little Jordan Humphrey from a few years ago. But A.T. Perry, 6'4", 205, awesome player at, at Wake, but didn't love his pro projection a little bit uh, skinny for, for that frame. But, you know, he ran the sub 4-5. I don't know if that was at the pro day or at the combine. It was combine. Um, okay, I mean, that's that's fairly legit for, really for a guy that size. I'm sure, too. That is correct. So, any so interest yeah, there? A little. I mean, he's he's a player who I think fell a little too far in the draft. He has some red flags as a prospect, but I think – you can look at his red flags in, in, in the bigger context spot reasons why he might be an exception to, to certain rules of, you know, uh, him being too skinny. You know, maybe maybe he is, quote unquote, too skinny. But when you are too whatever, you can kind of offset that sometimes by having surpluses in other areas. And it's, it's, it's like a narrow path for Perry because he is very skinny. And he's, he doesn't have the greatest hands. Like he's, like he's very coordinated, I would say, but he, he's almost like, I don't know what you would call it. He, he, he basically kind of dropped more passes than I'd like to see his completion percentage at Wake Forest sometimes suffered for it, but he's just so acrobatic for how uh, tall he is and how, how long limbed he is. Like you watch, you know, Marcus Valdez Scantling dropping that pass down the field. Like Perry doesn't really drop that pass because he doesn't have the, the, like the rigidity issues that Valdez Scantling does. Um, Perry almost in the sense that he can kind of uh, make himself smaller than he actually is. It reminds me a little bit of how, how that is with Drake London. You know, it's like, he's only six, four when it's helpful to be six, four when AT Perry wants to make cuts, like he's five eleven, he can. And that's the, that's the single thing that stands out the most about him to me is that when you watch A.T. Perry run routes, there are a lot of times where he just stops looking six, four and he just, he starts making like breaks and, and, you know, uh, changes of direction, start, stop stuff that you don't see almost categorically do not see with receivers as tall as him. So that's interesting to me because he could be a matchup problem. If you can put him on the field and get a defense to counter with a heavier, bigger corner, uh, because that heavier, bigger corner probably doesn't have feet like Perry. He probably can't stop, start, change direction like Perry. So that guy's in a tough spot. But if you try to counter Perry with a small corner, someone who moves more like Perry, then you have put maybe a five ten corner on a six four receiver, and then he then he's then he's like a jump ball kind of threat. So mm-hmm. I definitely like Perry. I think he's got a shot. But uh, yeah, definitely think he um, would would be a distant third to Shahid, but it, yeah. it's interesting to watch. I, I agree with everything you said about Perry and, and it's, you know, particularly with dead Dontavian Wicks showing so much lately, it's like, you know, what, why, why can't Perry do something like that? I, I'd love to see it. Uh, Wicks was also a favorite of mine in, in college. Those Virginia offenses prior to last year were awesome, really fun. And, and Wake Forest, uh, same deal. Uh, I need, you know, my, my, my firm beliefs in Sage Surratt from, from years past uh, <laughs> coming out of Wake Forest. I, I need retribution. I like Perry I need a lot more. Vindication. 
Let's go. I didn't like Surratt, but yeah, I like Perry. I did not like Surratt. Um, I don't know if he's available in in our Dynasty League, uh, but uh, we have the the Rotowire Dynasty League running its waivers today. If he hasn't been picked up, I'm I'm going to splash the pot on uh, on one AT Perry. Um, We have a interesting uh, trade question that I wanted to, to briefly touch on. Uh, so th- this is this is a league where, and we've talked about this in, in redraft trades before, where you're trading same positions, you're kind of making a, a wager uh, that that you know you're you're going to be getting the 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 edge on this guy. You you view this position uh, a little bit more clear headed th- than the person that you're trading with. So we have a receiver, a running back, and a tight end uh, involved on both sides here. Uh, one side would be giving away Stephon Diggs, Joe Mixon, and Trey McBride. The other side would be giving up Devontae Smith, Bijan Robinson, and Travis Kelsey. I think I would start with Travis Kelsey. The the value on him is probably not going to be lower than it is right now after the kind of visceral, uh, you know, tough performance for, from him on Monday night. I got to imagine that, that it picks back up. Um, oh, Devontae yeah. Smith, I, I, th- I think, is going to keep uh, playing extremely well. I, I think that, you know, Hertz didn't have the, the best game through the air on Monday night, but that's forgivable um, against the, this Chiefs team. I know the Eagles have a, a kind of a gauntlet of a schedule, but but with Goddard being out, so much attention being paid to A.J. Brown, I still think Devontae Smith projects really well moving forward. And, and Bijan, you just never really know, but may, maybe you might catch um, a, a hot streak from him. On the other side, you know, Diggs, it's been frustrating this year, especially in recent weeks. Uh, they, they have the offensive explosion against the Jets. He doesn't really do a ton in that one of memory serves Mixon, I, I, my value valuation of him doesn't really change with, with no burrow. I think that he's just going to, we're going to see a lot of checkdowns to him. So I think he's going to be fine going forward. And McBride is obviously uh, rocking out right now. So who gets the better end of this one? Uh, I have no idea, man. Sorry. I, I yeah. think it's, it's possible that it's truly a break. Even I personally have no concerns at all about digs. I, I am, pretty much positive he's going to go on a tear pretty much through the end of the season now but uh the Devonte smith part is i guess where i i really wonder because dallas goddard being out just it, it locks in a much higher target rate for smith like it's not a question it might be a question does he does he have satisfactory efficiency with it or whatever I also don't think that's a question. I, I think it's it's almost a lock that Devontae Smith will always have far above average returns for the usage. And Goddard being out, it's it's channeling three pillars into two now. Like it's 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 a huge difference, uh, especially since they're not going to feature. I, I guess they could feature Julio Jones somewhat. I just would be so sort of surprised. So while I would easily rank Diggs ahead of Devontae Smith going forward it's so much closer than it was, you know, but before the Goddard injury and I, I have nowhere near as much confidence in it. And then the burrow thing for Mixon is disturbing, but I, I, I agree with you. I, I lean toward Mixon's going to get like five catches for 30 yards a game, every game from here. And that definitely counts for something, especially if Arthur Smith is yanking around B John Robinson's playing time for right. reasons no one can ever foresee. But, uh, and the other, maybe the weirdest part of this too, John, I don't know how much further ahead I put Kelsey at this point than Trey McBride because yeah. <laughs> McBride's just rolling like crazy. Oh, it's, yeah. it's not even like a, it's not even like, Oh, it's, it's not, I feel like it's not uh, an insult to Kelsey. It's just like, do we know for sure that McBride isn't the tight end two right now or three or something like that? Like it's, it's not obvious to me that he isn't. So um, 
if he's that close to Kelsey, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that, that would have been the main contrast of these two offers, you know, is the Kelsey part. And I, I just don't know if it mm-hmm. even is, it might be the, the Devante Smith digs part or something. I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in your thoughts there with, with, with digs potentially going on a tear. I think that that that's not far uh, for, from coming to fruition. Um, so yeah, if I'm Dylan here, I'm holding on to my side that that has I probably uh, would Diggs, too. Mixon, and uh, McBride. Um, I feel feel good about that. Um, let's keep rocking here. We've got the Steelers and the Bengals. So speaking of Joe Mixon, um, we've got the Bengals as two point home underdogs. Quick and dirty summation: What does this offense look like without Joe Burrow? Uh, uh crap, John. I uh, don't mm. like it. Uh, I think Jake. Browning looks pretty uh, uniquely discouraging and um, yeah, it's not, it's not great. They can play some brand of competitive football because I think their defense is pretty tough and you know, they can, that offensive line seems like it's blocking better in the run game at least. So maybe they can lean on Mixon like you were hinting at, but Browning throwing for even like 200 yards a game feels like it's asking something, which it shouldn't be. It should not be, you shouldn't feel like you're making some kind of like rude request to a quarterback with these receivers to get to 200 yards, but it's, it almost feels like it's a, a tacky question of him or something. Uh, it, it sucks. And the Tomlin factor in this case, I, 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 I am worried uh, as far as my analysis goes that I'm just like despairing too much about the burrow injury, but I can't tell if I actually am. I, I when I try to, ask myself like am i am i exaggerating am i going a little overboard i i granted it's it's always difficult for me to to answer this question and you know play devil's advocate against myself but i just think it might be as bad as we fear and particularly with maybe maybe i'm just getting like you know traumatized from such recent obvious examples as like garrett wilson but like we we've seen it we it really can just go from working great to not working at all and and the quarterback, if it's bad enough, can do that on their own, and it it might be one of those cases here. So uh, I think I think we we could see a facsimile similar to um to to Garrett Wilson when it comes to Jamar Chase rest of season, where the production ends up being fine, but God, it's yeah. you know hard to watch. Um, but if I have Higgins, I'm very concerned about that going forward. Um, again, I, I think Mixon will be fine going forward, but. Um, you know, the rest of this offense, the, the ceiling is, is extremely uh, lowered. Uh, you got to feel bad about Tyler Boyd going forward. Um, so yeah. Ch- Chase Chase will still be a startable receiver, in my opinion. But you just yeah, he's not going to be a top three pick. That's just not how, how that's going to work when, when Jake Browning's back there. Um, it, it's too bad. Um, it, it really is. And then uh, on the on the Steelers side, you know, how how are they going to? respond i suppose from matt canada's firing uh earlier this week uh i have no idea i I don't actually don't know who they are replacing him with whoever if it's an in-house thing then it's almost got to be someone who is running the same offense uh which is to say the difference at this point might come down to situational play calling because i don't know what they are specifically griping about with canada i mean to me, this is just an offense that has a quarterback that's too awful to function. And I don't know what anyone expected Canada to do about that. I I don't think it can get a whole lot worse. It, it's uh, 
you know, it's, it's hard to get much worse when you run as much as they do. And when the times you do throw the ball, it's to receivers as good as Pickens and Johnson. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is something Canada is, is lax on in his game planning during the week. Maybe there's some kind of preparation thing, some kind of thing that this new person will be better at. That'll, that'll make the Steelers a little more adept uh, at their situational play calling. I don't know, but one thing I feel safe, you know, just scoffing at is a suggestion that like, oh, well, now this offense is just going to be unleashed or something. It's like this offense sucks because we would have reason to predict it would. Like, It's not it's not going to be saved by a play caller. It's just it's out of especially especially that we're talking in season in house options. Like if they were they were going out in the offseason to, to to get the next Mike McDaniel, I'd be like, oh, you know, maybe that. Maybe that changes things, but the, no Mike McDaniel is in-house, and it's, you know, it's the quarterback. It's the quarterback's – it's all because of him. It Yeah, he is – he's brutal to watch, I, I got to say. Old Kenny, we we got an over-under here. It it looks like an Iowa game. It's 34 and a oh, half. It is an Iowa game. Yeah, the, the Steelers are Iowa, down to the uniforms. Hard to watch. Better receivers, right, but, I guess. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, Ick, um, you know, no more. No more of that. Let's go to a fun game. Jags, Texans. That's fun, right? That's yeah. Fun. Uh, the That's Jags, obviously. Yes. It's one of the better Sunday games uh, in the afternoon window. Uh, Jags looked a lot better last week. How much do you put that on them just facing Tennessee, though? All of it. 100% of it. Okay, so going into this game against the Texans, who they obviously struggled against earlier this season, where does this offense kind of kind of settle in if it's not going to be the the you know sort of peak performance that we saw a week ago? So the Titans' defense is bad enough at the boundary coverage that Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley were able to kind of flex in that game just on the basis of their their raw ability, and that is a detail that will now change here because it's, it's not going to be Houston cutting loose Calvin Ridley. It's not going to be uh, defense played so poorly schemed so per- poorly that the offense moves the ball, even though the defense pretty much knows all the plays it's going to be a well-coached defense rather than one. And, and also a, a well-coached defense with much better corner personnel than the Titans have like Derek Stingley I think is good enough as a corner to, to make Calvin Ridley struggle again, not because it's Ridley's fault. I think it's Sherwood press Taylor's fault, Um, but Stingley is good. Nelson has been playing really well on the other side and D'Amico Ryans is, you know, he's, he's the real deal. He's as real of a deal as any other coach in the NFL. And that defense is going to just keep getting better all the time. In my opinion, we've already seen the Houston offense seemingly hit another gear lately. And, you know, if Stroud's better than he was the first time these teams plays uh, played, then, and it does seem like he is, then I don't know how this doesn't just turn worse yet for the Jaguars. Like, I feel like they are outclassed by the Texans, even though Jacksonville has more talent than the Texans. I, I should say the Jacksonville defense remains very good. And Caldwell, Caldwell, their defensive coordinator is like the opposite effect of what Taylor is on their offense. So Stroud has to play well. It's not like the Jags are just going to let him roll. They're, they're, they're going to make him work for it. I just don't know. Uh, other than like the whiplash of going from such an easy matchup of the Cardinals 
to facing a, a tough Jags defense. If there's like some kind of a, you know, the, the, the change up kind of effect there throwing off Stroud for a quarter or two, that, that would make some sense, I guess. But that's the only reason I would see him truly struggling here. Meanwhile, Trevor Lawrence has struggled in most games. He's, he struggles in pretty much any game where the Jaguars don't have a laughable talent advantage over the defense. And this certainly is not one game like that. So uh, I think Trevor's great. I don't blame him or Ridley at all. I, I think they are blameless. But the fact is the Texans are a team run by a coach who is much better than anyone Jacksonville has. Tex- Texans are going places Jags aren't. I agree. And if the if the Texans win this game, they will have two wins over the Jaguars and uh, the same record. So they'll both be 7-4. and four. So Texans all of a sudden uh, in the driver's seat um, for, for the AFC South crown, which is totally nuts. I mean, even if you thought, you know, the, the Texans would look better this year, uh, that that's uh, a whole, uh, other story. They've already crossed their win total, uh, for, yeah. from Vegas in the preseason They they were at five and a half. I took the over on that. Here we go. Um, nice. um, anything else lingering on, on the, uh, Jags Texans game before we move on? Uh, I think the Jags passing game gets neutralized by pretty much any competent defense and the, and the Texans qualify as such. I still think that Travis Etienne is one of the very best running backs in the league. And I think the Texans got to worry about him, but if they account for Etienne, the Texans offense can have a down game, I think against this Jags defense. And then still they clear with the win. It, it's it's if Etienne gets going that the Texans really need to score points in my opinion. I think, yeah, I'll take the Texans and the under uh, in this one and set like 48. So I think a lower scoring game, Jags offense can't get out of its own way. Jags defense keeps some semblance of a lid on the Texans attack. Uh, Let's get on over to uh, a game where these two teams are kind of like the same version of each other, uh, AFC, NFC. Uh, We got Indianapolis hosting the Bucks. Indianapolis two and a half point favorites at home. Yeah, uh, this is a game where I think the Buccaneers can bounce back. Uh, their their issues on offense, I think, have to do with lacking a run game and lacking secondary pass catching option, third, as it were, pass catching option. But these Colts corners are so injury depleted and kind of bad to start with that this really looks like a good setup for Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin, too, I guess, for that matter. So if Baker Mayfield can bounce back and carry in this game a better projection than Gardner Minshew, I think that means the Buccaneers are are going to win uh, or, you know, have, have as good of a shot in, in a while anyway. And, uh, you know, fantasy perspective, Jonathan Taylor against a tough Bucks run defense. I mean, obviously you're starting him, but when's the huge game coming for him? Is it this week? Uh, I don't know. The, the matchup isn't obviously favorable, but uh, I think Taylor's playing well. The issue is more that Gardner Minshew is – really uh you know it's, it's getting difficult to hide him and his his inadequacies as a quarterback and I think what you're seeing is the defense is kind of selling out against the run game and maybe Pittman and they're kind of cutting loose the rest and Minshew is not making them pay for it so that that continues here I mean I, I know this Tampa pass defense has had its issues but Minshew has struggled against weak defenses by now and it it you know, to be fair to Minshew, the Colts aren't really like a robust, you know, passing offense. Like I like 
Pittman enough. I like Downs. I even like Pierce, but uh, it's just it's not enough to carry a quarterback as low as Minshew. And uh, yeah, he like if, if for instance, if, if Minshew had Evans and Godwin, I'd feel a little better about him here. But I'm um, I just worry about him. Uh, especially if he doesn't have a run game to play off of, especially if he can't uh, scramble and stuff. And I don't know, Tampa's got speed on defense. I don't know why you would get going that way. So uh, yeah, I lean Tampa to win this. Okay. All right. Bucks, Bucks on the road. All right, let's get it. Um, Let's go. Oh boy. Uh, We got Patriots giants, another perilously low over under this one, even lower than Steelers Bengals. This one at 33 and a half. (laughs) Uh, the, the giants, you know, credit to them, uh, that they're the first team since I believe 1984, uh, to win a game in which they, they allowed nine sacks and, and win that game by double digits. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Uh, this game, I think, uh, for what it's worth, I, I just saw, uh, it was, it was, it, uh, Taylor Kyle. Yeah. Taylor Kyle's, uh, a really good Patriots beat writer had had uh, tweeted an hour ago that Mac Jones said he hopes he will start and that it's the plan he thinks. Uh, yeah. So who, who knows what that means? I mean, one thing that I do think is safe to say is that while the Patriots' offense is completely busted and there's like no real hope, I don't think Mac Jones is truly the problem. In that, I don't. I, at the very least, I I'm positive that none of the alternatives on hand are better. Uh, Bailey yeah. Zappi's just it's it's a joke. Uh, the, the, the Louisville quarterback that they drafted would sooner be a better approach. Like there, there's just, there's no way that Jones is, is the reason everything is as bad as it is with the, it's somewhat injury, somewhat scheme, somewhat personnel all happening badly at once. And I think, you know, it, you'd need like a top 10 quarterback to, to make this Patriots offense look much better in my opinion. And yeah, Jones yeah. falls well short of that. So they just look like this instead. However, there, there's still, I mean, Dable is a way better offensive coordinator than what the the Patriots can cook up. But I do think that the Patriots' offense is cl- probably better than the Giants with Devito at quarterback. Uh, Devito did a great job last week, of course, but that was Dable just kind of pulling a series of pranks on an old silly man, Jack Del Rio, and uh, Devito made his shots. Uh, he definitely deserves the credit for it. But you got to understand, those are like all flea flicker plays the the defense was so whooped it was just like a, a as easy about as a, a flea flicker pass when the defense bit on it and he'll make that play again i suppose if they if they set it up i just don't think it happens here so i, I don't want to say I, I want to bet on the patriots to to cover or win but i'm more interested in betting on them than the giants anything to take away from what darius slayton did a week ago He's a good player. He always has been. He's been totally good since his rookie year, and all the fluctuations since is just because of Daniel Jones and other quarterback problems. Uh, I like Slayton. If 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 Dable can keep pantsing the defense like he did last week and set up an, a, a look so open that DeVito can see it from a mile away and, and also make the throw, Slayton will do his part. But I, uh, you know, it's 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 tough for me to 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 have a whole lot of hope for DeVito against Belichick. Like it's just, I I don't think Tommy DeVito is very good. Like I think, I think he's still probably worse. Maybe he's better than Sean Clifford. Maybe I can move him that high. Maybe he's, 
maybe he's better than Clifford, but that's about all I can do. You know, it's, 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 I can't forget his whole collegiate career. It's not something I can do. What I can't do is look at Twitter when Tommy DeVito does anything. Uh, Sopranos memes are so 2019. <laughs> if he, there was a way like that I could mute an image. He's, he's like yeah. Jersey Shore type New Jersey right. guy. Yeah, it's it's lame. I, I There's can't no New deal Jersey with it. Shore this, the Sopranos. Yeah. It's it. I hate it. I hate the Sopranos memes so much on Twitter. <laughs> I love. It's making me like retroactively not like the show as much as I do. It's very bothersome. I'd like to to remove that from uh, my, my my Twitter experience, which is already bad enough as it is. Um, let's go. Oh boy, man, we we are in uh, the thick of some toughies. Uh, we got the Panthers and the Titans. Pan- uh, Titans three and a half point favorites at home. Hmm. I don't know about that. How are the How are the Panthers being favored by anyone? Is is kind of. Oh, I'm sorry. T- t- Titans at Titans favored. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, whoops. My bad. <laughs> I should have. I should have just uh, known it too. Um, but yeah, that sounds more correct. I think uh, if it were in Carolina, I feel like the Titans should still be safely favored. The, the Panthers are a kind of bad right now that's difficult to put into perspective. Uh, it's difficult to find the similar case studies in the past because it's just, it's point blank. Not that often that we have a team with as little talent as the Panthers with as bad of coaches as the Panthers have a, a Giro Bureau aside and with a meddling idiot owner like David Tepper is. And it's, it's, it's a totally different formula than what you got to look at in most cases. This is, this is an organization that at every level is being run completely into the ground. And, you know, having, having a generational savior type quarterback prospect would not save the Panthers from this season that they're having, in my opinion. And I happen to believe Bryce Young is not very good. So will Levis, oh man, how, this is, this is the, I guess a real litmus test for me on how low I am on Bryce Young. Do I think he's worse than Levis? Uh, that feels like a line a little too far, but I'm a lot closer to it than I thought I would have been right now. You know, back back in like September, I would have said like, yeah, I, I don't like Young a whole lot, but he's definitely going to be way better than Levis. And now I am, I would still pick Young, but I'm not nearly as sure about it. You know, I'm, I'm, I, they both probably are awful is, is the way it looks now. Uh, but it, it's, it, Levis might like, chuck it a little further, run a little more. I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe, yeah. maybe there's something he has on Young. Uh, I don't know if Young can take advantage of the weak Tennessee boundary coverage. I I feel like since he's done so badly in that part of the field to this point, there's not much reason to think he can capitalize. I really do think Bryce Young is doomed just kind of forcing it to Thielen over and over and hoping the game ends eventually. And that's the Titans are a bad pass defense, but that's not what you want to do against them. You want to be on the boundary and stressing down the sideline. So I'm worried that, well, Adam Thielen's playing great. This might be a tough matchup for him. Like, even if he gets 12 targets, I'm not sure he's catching more than something like six for 40 yards because you know, Roger McCrary is is maybe not a great corner exactly, but he's he's one of those corners who's rugged underneath, you know, and I, I don't think he's going to, at this point in Thielen's career, I don't think McCreary's going to get, like, juked out of his shoes, you know? No, I, nor do I. Um, ugh, yeah, I don't. I don't have a ton to add on on this game. I don't think if you're in a playoff position that, that you probably have a ton of exposure 
uh, to this game. So uh, that's that's kind of where I land on it. Uh, I guess I'll take the Titans. I think I'll, I'll say it. I think Levis right now is better than Bryce Young. Does that mean in the future he will be? I, I don't know. But I think at this very moment, I, I would take Levis for this weekend over Bryce Young. Uh, but that's 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 about the, the end of it. Yeah, it's uh, boy, that's quite a, a, a swing and a miss for trading up that high to, to take it, the first overall quarterback. And, and then you watch he passed all these tests. The future, John mathematics. D- do you understand? Well, that's well, at, le- at least they beat CJ Stroud straight up. That that means everything, right? They'll, they'll at least yeah. always have that, that to uh, hang their hat on. Um, let's go Rams Cardinals. You got the cards as uh, th- this one. The, the books can't decide either. There's, there's a little bit of differential. We got the Rams as one and a half point road underdogs over at FanDuel. And we have the Cardinals as one point uh, home underdogs over at DraftKings over under in this one set at 44 and a half. A lot of questions in the chat have been about Kyron Williams. What are your expectations on him coming back? Huh? That is tough. I, on the one hand, if, if, if the Rams give him his old role, then that's, you know, clearly valuable because they were giving him an absurd workload. You have 60 snaps a game. Crazy. He's not built for that. I don't think it's a coincidence that he got hurt the way he did uh, at getting two 20 plus carry games in a three week span. You know, this Kyron Williams is basically like if you took Miles Gaskin and made him slower. So that is, which is, I'm trying to point out they're both around 190 pounds. Like you don't use 190 pound running backs like they're Todd Gurley, Sean. That's not how it works. So if they want to keep doing that, He'll get to, he'll get that I guess every snap he can handle, but then the question is like what what is the number before he gets hurt again? And um, I, I don't know if if Sean McVay has has thought that through at all and realized like oh I'll have to give thirty snaps to Williams and thirty to Royce Freeman or something like that. But to keep Williams healthy for another three weeks, that is what they would have to do. Uh, however, McVay has never shown this inclination. You know, only six weeks with Williams, but throughout those six weeks. Ronnie Rivers was basically like a an on field scratch. You know, it's they were barely even using him. So uh, there's a chance Williams just gets 45, 55, 60 snaps in this game, and the Cardinals' defense is pretty much trash. And they're, I don't doubt that they'll get better someday. But even you know the the re they're at like a pre rebuild phase on defense, uh, needing one and not having started it. So. Whoever plays the running back role for the Rams, if there's one player that gets over 30 snaps, they're in a really good spot because the Cardinals defense just has that effect on like almost every, almost every running back that plays them, including Kyron Williams, the you know 20 carries for 158 yards the last time. So it, is it a, I guess when it comes to the it, with Williams, all the appeal comes with the role. But I felt like Royce Freeman did well enough to where he shouldn't disappear from this offense. Right. That's how I would see it too, uh, but I'm I'm you know I'm probably higher on Royce Freeman than anyone on Earth, and lower on Kyron Williams than anyone on Earth. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not like a, a an impartial observer on that. I I wouldn't be able to uh, make the fair case against Freeman, whatever case there might be. I I agree though. I, I I think I just I think Freeman's clearly better than Williams, point blank. But that's that's another matter. So. Well, a little, a little tough there. And then, um, you know, with, with Cup getting dinged up, 
uh, th- this past week. What, what's the latest uh, on him? And, you know, what, what could this mean for, for Nakua? Because he didn't exactly pop off against the, the Seahawks uh, last week either. But uh, it sounds like uh, Cup, uh, it's not a guarantee that, that he misses any additional time. Okay, yeah. So if it's a low ankle sprain, he might or might not play the next game, uh, you know, with, with from the injury. I mean, so I don't know how to call it. Some low ankle sprains are bad enough that you got to miss a week and maybe even two sometimes, I guess. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'd be surprised if Cup sat out. I, I'm, not, I'm I'm only wildly guessing. I, I don't have any evidence at all. I just kind of, uh, since they didn't say high ankle sprain, I guess I'm going to assume that he's he's back. But to, to what effect, I don't know. He might not be fully healthy. Uh, if, if there's a limiting factor for cup here, other than the injury, it might be that everyone is wide open. Not truly everyone, John, I'm not saying Demarcus Robinson can get open against the Cardinals mm-hmm. or, uh, this trammel. Why does McVeigh do this? Why does he have to, I don't even know guys? who that guy was. You don't remember him as like the, the distinguished wide receiver three at rice, like yeah, four years rice. ago. Sean McVay loves those guys. He's he's like, who's this? Who's this guy who's playing uh, twenty snaps a game for Rice? He's, he's got a little something, you know. He knows how to he knows how to run an option route or whatever. Like, how about you get somebody who can just run and jump for once? Why why do we do these things with these trammels and these scourernecks? These these all other right. all right. sorry. Already making my call on on the next random Rams guy. Then uh, there's a guy named Bradley Rosner who's in I think his seventh or eighth season of college football. Um, former rice guy, uh, now, now at North Carolina state, he, you are a Los Angeles hey, Ram. If, Brad if he can Rosner. hold off like Austin Prole and whoever else that they're going to have auditioning with him. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's going to be the next one. Who knows? So we have that to look forward to on the Arizona side of this, um, you know, two weeks into the, the Kyler Murray, uh, offense and, and return, how are things looking in your opinion when it comes to Kyler and the rest of these pass catchers? Uh, I don't know. The The Marquise Brown numbers are really discouraging and in a way that I'm kind of flailing to, to, to figure it out. I'm, I don't know why it hasn't worked better to this point. And so while I might look at this Rams secondary and say, there's no way any of these guys can cover Marquise Brown. And I do believe that. I wouldn't have thought that the Texans and Falcons could cover Brown so well that he'd be limited to 46 yards on 115 snaps. Uh, that feels like it's too be- like it's too low of a rate to to hold. Like that's that's going to turn for the better. But it's been uh, a really bleak six games now for Brown. He hasn't gotten to 50 yards over those six games. Each of the six games, the numbers look pretty much the same from one to the next, and it's it's. There's a couple tough matchups in there, namely Baltimore and especially Cleveland. But the last time he played against the Rams, Marquise Brown had four catches for 34 yards on 11 targets. So a uh, little worried he just doesn't fit their system, whatever it is they're trying to do, which is which is a little discouraging because, uh, you know, Rondell Moore is doing better with granted. It was all on one play, but, uh, you know, he's he's shown more the last two weeks than he did the first eight or whatever. Uh, Michael Wilson's been a you know, promising player throughout his rookie year. Kyler Murray getting back should have been like a, just flipping a switch, getting Marquise Brown going again. And it, it's it been the opposite. So 
I worry that I'm just missing something, and I, I worry that even though I think he can beat these corners, I, I'm just kind of wrong for some reason that I don't understand yet. And uh, as, as to whether Kyler can get going in general, I, I think he will. The Rams' secondary is incredibly bad, so maybe maybe that helps him here. I, I think Raheem Morris must be a pretty good defensive coordinator, but I, I just think he has nothing to work with aside from pretty much Aaron Donald. So while I am admitting that it's kind of on faith and that I have no real basis for thinking it. I think slash hope Kyler has a good game here. I, uh, you know, I just, I just wouldn't fault anyone for being skeptical of it, especially if Brown continues to struggle like this. Yeah. The, the, the Brown stuff is disappointing. You know, they obviously traded a first round pick for him and it, it hasn't gotten off the ground like we would have hoped. Steve um, Kime masterclass. Oh, you know it, man. Um, I'm I'm excited for this one. Uh, I think there, there's a lot of fantasy intrigue, if, if nothing else, uh, in this one. So that, that should kind of carry this one in, in the uh, 4 o'clock Eastern window. I uh, got a couple more to go in that window. We got the Browns and the Broncos. Broncos, two-and-a-half-point favorites against, you know, a, a Browns team that, man, they are they're rough and tumble. Um, but they're kind of a, a tough watch if you're not into that. Yeah, I hate it. I don't really like it. Um, I think the Broncos should be good here. Uh, I, I wish them well and everything, but Dorian Thompson Robinson doesn't look like an NFL quarterback to me. PJ Walker definitely isn't an NFL quarterback. So, uh, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson outranking him on the depth chart, I don't necessarily see his progress as much as just kind of desperation from the Browns. That kind of quarterback play can make things difficult no matter how bad the defense is. And I'm not sure the Denver defense is bad enough to meet whatever Mark Thompson Robinson needs. And, you know, that that run game should be fine. They're going to have to get the run game going to be competitive. But as long as Russell Wilson doesn't turn the ball over, I feel like they should be able to make more plays in the passing game than Cleveland. Even with, I say that with all the respect in the world to those Browns corners, I think you know, all three of them are good. Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward, both are a lot better than uh, you know their work in Cleveland before this year implied. Like this is the first year playing in a real system, in my opinion, and it's not shocking to me that they're both doing better. But Cortland Sutton, the, the Cortland Sutton offense, as it were, that the that the Broncos run this you know fourteen points per game kind of offense should be enough to win here. And I think that as great as you know Ward and Newsom might be. Sutton has shown repeatedly by now the ability to make big catches in contested spaces and all Russell Wilson really needs to make that work is that it's just them to be close enough to scoring range and just get one look of single coverage. And, you know, Denzel Ward will probably be all over Sutton, but Sutton uh, could probably, you know, wear Ward like a backpack and not be slowed down too much by it. So, uh, Ugly game is either side can screw it up. If if one team turns it over more than once, that might be enough to bury themselves. I just don't know why Denver would be the team to turn it over more. Yeah. And I mean, Russ has been, uh, it would have to be miles Garrett being Superman and, you know, for, forcing a fumble and or that can get, getting in yeah. Russ's face. So like that can't rule that out, but yeah, I mean, you, you would obviously imagine that the, the Browns, much higher turnover risk with, with Dorian Thompson Robinson back there going up against it, you know, a solid, but not that spectacular 
um, Broncos defense certainly been better than uh, giving up 70 points um, in, in recent weeks. Um, but beyond that, um, are, are you worried about uh, starting guys like, like Judy or, or uh, Javante Williams against this Browns defense? Yeah, especially Judy, though, because look, I, I have been a Sutton kind of truther for a while, but I would still say Jerry Judy is clearly the better receiver that he hasn't been as useful to the Broncos lately shows that their scheme doesn't have a use for the traits that Judy possesses, uh, which is to say jump balls that Russell Wilson can throw infrequently on the boundary of the field. Like Judy needs to be in the middle a lot. He needs to be set up for yards after the catch. He needs uh, more space basically than the Broncos have for him. And Sutton, if, if if the whole passing game comes down to making that, you know, sideline catch that, that contested sideline catch over and over, then Sutton is going to remain the more useful player to them. So I can see Judy getting phased out of any game, regardless of the matchup and this matchup, except for when he's on Emerson, Judy can probably beat Martin Emerson pretty easily. Denzel Ward and, and Greg Newsom, on the other hand, though, are pretty much nightmare matchups for Judy. There, there might not be three corners in the league that he'd rather see less than those two. And uh, yeah, so it's, it seems, seems difficult to me for Judy to, to have any obvious opening, but Javante, I wouldn't worry about because even if it's a slog, let's just assume it is. If we're correct to favor the Broncos, then Javante Williams would be almost as likely, if not more likely the heir to whatever touchdowns we're talking about, that would only other go to Cortland Sutton. So uh, maybe the Broncos only score 14 points, but I, I kind of feel like that's all that you need to to feel like Javante Williams and Sutton are pretty much, you know, same as most any other week. Yeah, narrowly channeled as far as the uh, the, the touchdown production and that offense is concerned. Um, let's get on over. Chiefs Raiders. Chiefs eight and a half point favorites on the road in Vegas against the Raiders. How concerned are you? about the chiefs because that, that's all when I'm home, I, I kind of indulge myself and watch some of the, the national, uh, sp- you know, sports media TV shows. It, you know, I, I watched the herd. Um, I watched first take. I watched <laughs> all that. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's just like, I, I like to, I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm, I'm not in my usual dwelling. I want to see, I want to see what everyone else is looking at more often than not. And, uh, the, the panic bells for, for Kansas City are ringing. I saw your tweets on, on, on Monday and Tuesday and, you know, some, something to the effect. And forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing, but it's like this has kind of been coming like the, the Chiefs have oh, yeah. asked for asked for this. Right. By, by um, rolling with the receiver personnel that they have and just banking that Travis Kelsey would be enough um, to, to, to carry this entire passing game and. I, I mean, the, the Eagles are a totally different conversation that, than the Raiders, of course. But, you know, when, when you look at the at the long term for, for the, the Chiefs this season, are we looking at a team that, that might be ticketed for an early exit? Maybe not early, just because the whole league is awful this year. But mm-hmm. it, I think the issue that uh, the Chiefs, Andy Reid, whoever, their, their issue is that they point blank thought Marquez Valdez Scantling and Justin Watson could do things that they cannot. And maybe they didn't have that specific realization or that maybe it wasn't framed that specific way. I mean to say, uh, 
but they they looked at their offense. They they kind of just they sat back. They look at it. They go like, oh yeah, that should work. You know, we we like Watson there, don't we? Yes, we like him there. We we like Valdez Scantling there, don't we? Yes, we like them. We like him there. Uh, th- that's fine. That'll work. They didn't stop to look at what the actual numbers for any of these players were, though, because throughout their career, Justin uh, Justin Watson and Marcus Valdez Scantling very clearly were the types of receivers who get overexposed if you make them draw a target more than every once every like 12 to 15 snaps i would say ideally less than that even but 12 to 15 is the absolute most you can put on these guys in terms of per uh targets per uh, snaps per target sorry um so in this game a game where the chiefs need to throw the ball you know if they had moved the chains enough upwards of 40 times they're giving 11 targets or whatever to watson and that's too much. It's way too much. It's a complete systemic breakdown that that happened at all because you're taking a guy who in the, in the rare event that Justin Watson is actually efficiently acceptable for an offense. It's because he's playing 500 snaps and drawing only like 38 targets in this game. They're trying to get him a a target every like six snaps. He can't do it. He's not good enough. The passes won't get there. He won't get off. He won't get open enough. He'll drop passes that he doesn't usually. Things like that start happening when you overexpose receivers like that. And they quite simply wanted to run too many pass plays without having enough capable pass catchers to budget that offense. It, it, they just said, oh, well, we got we got 20 targets left. Uh, they go to Watson and MVS. You lose. You just lost. It's, 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 it's not going to work. And Rasheed Rice, by contrast, is a guy who clearly can take more targets per snap than these, these other two. And then he plays fewer snaps than them. So as a starting point, they need to give rice 60 snaps a game. No, no conditions. It doesn't matter what Andy Reid thinks about like, Oh, but we don't like him as much as Watson in this look. doesn't matter. You're wrong. If it must be understood a certain way, it's because you're wrong that you're confused about this. It's not, it's, it's not a debate. Watson can't do it. Maybe rice can't do it either, but Watson definitely cannot. And with Rice, you can do something at least. You know, if you if you give Rishi Rice eleven targets like they did Watson, he's doing more with them. It doesn't matter. It it, it could be any route, a route that he's never run before in his life. He will do better than Watson over a longer period. And th- those targets going to Watson instead of Rice may be the single reason they lost that game. So, you know, sometimes things getting difficult like that, sometimes getting embarrassed like that, can lead a coach to reconsider the things they previously assumed. And maybe Andy Reed in this case will go, I guess we got to change something at receivers. That's a start. If he could at least see that, that would be a start. But the way it goes wrong still is if instead of giving it all to rice, they do some incoherent thing where they're like, Oh, we'll try to get sky Moore going in these routes instead. Like no sky Moore needs to be in the slot. If you don't have a slot rep for him, then you, you can't put him on the field. And if you're going with Kadarius Tony, that won't work either. And I worry about that one in particular. I can see Brett Veach leaning in, like, hey, you know, coach, don't you think we could do more with Tony? You know, don't don't you think um, that was a good trade that I did? Don't you agree with me that I'm that I'm a good GM, Andy? Uh, Andy might be more like, you know, we see him as a gadget guy. We we want to get Rice going more if we can't get Watson going more. And Veach might be there to kind of say like, well, t- now, now is a better time than ever for Tony to to come right in and fix this whole mess we've got it won't work because he tips off the play he can't he he can run some routes but he's such a one-dimensional receiver defenses know that he's running it and then he has no opportunity actually so there's nothing there except rice and you know maybe maybe they start to give him more snaps but if they don't 
they're hopeless as far as competing against good teams. Uh, the Raiders, they're fine. The Raiders suck. Uh, teams that are bad, they'll be fine. It's more like when you when you get when you're talking playoff ambitions, teams like the Eagles, the the Chiefs, quite simply require something like 125 plus yards from Travis Kelsey on 10 plus targets, or they require uh, the run game going for upwards of like 170, which they don't do. They're not, they don't try to run the ball enough to make that a possibility. So what no. instead we get is a lot of incomplete passes to receivers who just shouldn't be getting targets. Well said. That was a, that was, you know, a perfect distillation of what's up with the chiefs. What's wrong with them uh, right now. Uh, AFC is tough. Uh, even with the Bengals kind of, you know, kind of getting knocked out of, of serious contention uh, and the, the Browns, you know, for, for their own part as well. I think that, you know, the AFC still kind of remains a gauntlet. And, you know, I'm not sure that even even with Patrick Mahomes' wizardry that uh, that the Chiefs are going to be able to, uh, to to win another AFC championship, let alone um, another Super Bowl. But, you know, do like them in this setup against the Raiders. So this is sort of a, I don't know, get right game is the right way to, to describe it, but uh, we, we're not going to get much in the way of answers about the Chiefs for, from this game. I think that they'll, they'll look fine because they're playing the Raiders, but I, I don't think it necessarily fixes anything if they if they come out and, and win and cover the eight and a half points. Bills Eagles, Eagles obviously the the impressive win uh, the entire time on on Monday, especially in the second half when the when the Chiefs drives would, would stall and sputter. You know and the Eagles they weren't moving the ball reliably themselves either but they, they found themselves down three points and it's like they're hanging around they're hanging around the chiefs are just letting them hang around and when you yep. let the the eagles hang around they're probably going to find a way to win and so they did uh very impressive from them that the jets or i'm sorry the bills looked better against the jets almost because they had to i mean the the way that the jets offense played anyone could, could have won that game basically um, you know, you, you got to give some credit to the Bills, of course. But you know, do, do you think that that was a game that that fixed anything for for the Bills? And you know, how did they look going into this matchup against Philly? Well, uh, I have I don't have a good sense of whether the Bills were doing anything different. I guess I wouldn't think they were. Uh, I wonder how much of that outcome comes down for, to just like you said, Zach Wilson being so bad, the Jets can't make a real they can't play a real game at all. Uh, that and the Shakir play. I like Shakir. I think he's clearly a player they need on the field for 40 plus snaps a game. Even if Dawson Knox is healthy, I think that's the case, but that big play, the, the, that much yardage after the catch is not really the norm for him. You know, it's, it's, it's not a play that's always going to be there. So, uh, they need to get digs going more at the very least, but, um, it, it, it was encouraging, I guess, for them in a way that, this is the second time in, I guess, like three weeks this has happened, four weeks. The Buccaneers game, I think, was the last one, uh, where Diggs kind of had a quiet game. And then in the in the Tampa case, D- Gabe Davis got going a little bit with Shakir. This game, it was Shakir that got going. It's like, that's that's good to see when Diggs has a down game. It means they have a counter-adjustment capacity. You know, like they, they can respond to a defense selling out to s- slow Diggs now if they got Shakir and Kincaid going a little bit. But... Um, they need to get digs going to 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 handle the you know more typical scenarios like the the two out of three times that they that they're winning it's because digs has a big game it's it's not really it's not often going to be because of Shakir and Kincaid making up the difference 
with that said, in this game, I really like the chances of Diggs getting going. Uh, maybe I'm too quick to uh, assume things get easier for him. Maybe I'm too quick to kind of not give the Eagles secondary enough credit. I just don't think the Eagles defense is that good in the secondary. I think the pass rush is crazy and that's no small concern, especially the right side of the bills line has had trouble pass blocking, but those corners can't cover digs in my opinion. And I think also that the the Eagles secondary has had enough trouble this year. They have to worry about all the, the receivers for the bills, Davis, Kincaid, Shakir. And I feel like that's, you know, I've been something of a critic of Josh Allen's in, in recent times, but it hasn't been the case often with him over the past three years where he has had more than two receivers who project well against the defense. It's always just been like, we'll force it to digs and figure the rest out later kind of thing. And in this one, you know, the pass rush is a huge concern. I don't mean to make it sound like it's it's not capable of derailing the whole thing. It is. But if the pass rush doesn't derail the whole thing, I just don't think that the Eagles have the secondary personnel to cover these receivers. And if if it's a shootout, I don't know if that even suits the Eagles. I think the Eagles might want to kind of win this one like 27 to 20 more than trying to win it like 35 to 31. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the Bills are definitely more comfortable in a shootout. Um, I, I don't think that the Eagles, they if you gave them the truth serum that they would want Jalen Hurts throwing it 40 times. I think the Bills are totally fine uh, with, with Allen throwing it that much. So, yeah, I mean, if the, if, it, if it goes that way, and, you know, to your point, I, I think that the Eagles secondary, you know, got bailed out by the, a lot of drops uh, on, on Monday oh, yes. nights. So, so uh, you know, a lot of those passes are probably going to be completed uh, th- this week. So the, the Eagles going to need to play a little bit tighter coverage uh, for sure. What do you, what do we uh, envision this Eagles offense being able to do or not do against the bills? Well, uh, I, I, this is a weird thing to say because I, I think he basically should be fired, but Sean McDermott is a uniquely good defensive coach. In my opinion, uh, as much as he has these embarrassing moments from time to time, I think we've seen that be more, more due to like general game management than defensive scheming. Uh, we saw the Buffalo defense shut down the Dolphins offense. There are games they are occasionally quite good. However, I'm personally a little skeptical that vertically oriented offenses suit the Bills defense that well. I think the Bills play the best defense when uh, th- their best defense, not like the best, but they play their best when an offense is kind of a smaller field horizontally oriented offense, which the Dolphins definitely are. The Eagles are all about verticality, though. It's it's every single thing is about vertical pressure and specifically A.J. Brown pressuring vertically. Those corners can't turn and run. They're all hurt also. I don't even know who's going to be playing corner for the Bills. They cannot turn and run, though. Uh, like Russell Douglas, he's he's basically a strong safety playing corner. Like that guy's feet cannot move quickly enough to keep up with either Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown, and especially not downfield. I don't really see the Bills pass rush getting there in time to stop that setup. So Jalen Hurts, I think, should be able to take shots downfield over and over pretty much in this game and, and get Smith and Brown both going. I, I want to leave some possibility open of McDermott knowing this ahead of time and having some kind of novel fix for it. But short of some kind of probably smoke and mirrors kind of fix that only really buys them like a quarter or two. I don't know what the bills can do here. I feel like this is maybe one of the easiest matchups for the Eagles passing game in a while. 
Um, so we, you know, to your point there, when, when it comes to Buffalo, uh, Teron Johnson, Dane Jackson, and uh, Cam Lewis, all uh, questionable. Uh, Micah Hyde is on the injury report as well. And then, of course, Tredavious White and Kyrie Elam, uh, both on injured reserve. So uh, a beat-up group going up against Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, or I mean to say A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Yeah, that, that could be difficult for, for the Bills to stop time and time again. So I, I'd probably lean the Eagles there. But, it, you know, you what brought up an over? interesting – The over is set at 48-and-a-half, 40, oh. so right around where you were projecting. Don't you think that seems – I don't know. Rather than picking a side in this one, I, I kind of like the over, assuming there's no goofy weather or anything like that. Let's go. Let's go with that. Yeah, because I can I can too clearly see either of these teams covering. But I think in, in either instance, uh, the over looks to be in play. Uh, let's get to Sunday night. We got the Chargers playing host to the Balmer Ravens. Uh, Ravens three and a half point favorites on the road out there in L.A., Let's start with with what the offense for Baltimore looks like. Sands, Mark Andrews. Well, I uh, I at once think it's a really really huge loss, uh, the kind of thing that can you know derail what otherwise they might have been building this year. But I also think it's not as big of a loss as it would have been under the Roman scheme. Like some of the some of the usage that was funneled toward Andrews in past years has not gone to him this year. I don't even agree with that really like I I feel like they should have been trying to get Andrews the ball more if anything but the fact is what they've done to this point was not nearly as attributable to Andrews as you know what they've done in past years with those offenses so it's a setback but if Odell Beckham can stay healthy and play the way that he has been the past three weeks that would make up for it I feel like because you know, relative to past years, not, not, not like, Oh, they'll be, you know, fine without Andrews because uh, it's easy to play without Andrews. That's not really what I mean. I mean, relative to the standards of past seasons, they, if Odell Beckham is rolling the way he has been. And if Zay flowers um, who definitely deserves uh, what was it? Like another 60 yards and a touchdown added to his yep. season box score. Uh, yeah. I, I, I still think he's like a wide receiver too, but, that was a play that he made and uh, was not given credit for. So uh, the thing, the more important thing is if Odell Beckham is playing the way he has the last three weeks, he's a wide receiver one, which Lamar Jackson has never had. The closest thing he's had to that was, I guess, Mark Andrews and to a lesser extent, rookie year Marquise Brown with a broken foot. So that's, that's the bar we're trying to clear right now. And I think because Beckham, when he is really on can be such a uniquely good player, that's more important. That's the more important question to me than what do the Ravens do to replace Andrews? Because if, if if Beckham's rolling, it's just we don't care about that anymore. But uh, they have a few tight ends. I, I uh, I've said before I'm a little lower on Isaiah likely than most people. I think um, I don't know. He's got something, but I just think he's a backup. And particularly since this offense wasn't throwing nearly as many targets to Andrews as in past years. I'd be curious about turning that position into a little bit more of like a blocker slash decoy type, which to me means Charlie Kohler because he at least has enough speed. He's much faster, much, much faster than Isaiah likely, even at something like 30 pounds heavier. And if you're a safety who's got the coverage over the top there, you're paying a little more attention to, to Kohler, or at least you're, you're looking more at Kohler at the expense of looking at the receivers on that side 
than you are when likely is the tight end. Uh, whereas like in that case, you're just not really watching them at all. You're, you're looking at the receivers and uh, likely is better at those like five to six yard targets, I guess, than Kohler. But if we're not throwing to the tight end that much anyway, why not have someone who can at least make a safety kind of turn and run every once in a while and, and be maybe a better blocker at, at 20 or 30 pounds heavier. Uh, if not Kohler, uh, you mentioned to me, John, the, that Nebraska tight end, the undrafted oh, yeah. one. Um, he's, he's a guy who doesn't have like a, a profile that pops exactly, but he hits uh, a few boxes that are important in a way that gives him a real chance. You know, I'd, I would put Kohler and likely well ahead of a uh, vocal or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. But if for whatever reason, the Ravens aren't or can't getting production from likely and Kohler, Seems like Vokalek could get a shot because uh, he's he's big basically. He's more he's more like a Kohler frame, not as athletic as Kohler, but pretty athletic. Maybe a better blocker than Kohler. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of funny to me how 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 they used to give all those snaps to Nick Boyle, and then they like just deleted that part of the offense. And uh, maybe they kind of reintroduce a guy more like that with Andrews out instead of trying to find someone who can do what Mark Andrews can. It's just not, it's not a realistic thing to find someone else who does what he does. Yeah. I I think, you know, bottom line, you're, you're making a great point about what the tight end usage in the Munkin offense has looked like this year. And it hasn't been Andrews getting peppered with targets every single week. So Mark Andrews is only commanding X amount of targets, right? He goes out, you have two guys who are bit, similar valuation they do different things have different strengths to their game in Isaiah Likely and and Charlie Kohler but I don't think that either of them just step into the Andrews role I think that you know like that there is a lot of intrigue on on waiver wires you know that Isaiah Likely picked up pretty much everywhere Kohler um, a little bit less so but it wouldn't surprise me if they basically combine to hit about 75% of what Mark Andrews was doing, which was yeah. good, not great. Um, so I, I think it's important to, to like keep that in mind that like neither of those guys have such a distinct advantage over the other that like they're lot that Isaiah is Isaiah likely is locked in just because he played a little bit more as a rookie that than uh, Charlie Kohler did and, and vice versa. So it's going to be tricky. I think it's going to be hard for, for us in, in fantasy to, to really um, be, be able to pinpoint. I, I think this week should be kind of like a, a helpful um, display and, and a demonstration of, of how they plan to use the tight ends going forward. But I, I'm not saying that either either Likely or Kohler are slam dunks. I think that we start to see more of the target volume get channeled out to the wide receivers if Beckham stays healthy. Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman playing a little bit better lately, uh, making me eat my words. Um, Nelson Aguilar caught the touchdown, fluky play, obviously, uh, last week as well. Um, so I, I definitely just – I have a hard time seeing either of these tight ends that that are trending on the waiver wires really being able to deliver for you. I think the, the loss of Andrews, if you're going to have the replacement for him, it, it would have to be someone that probably you already drafted or, or picked up over the course of the, of the season because I'm not certain – is either of those guys. Um, and then Vukolic, deep dynasty. If you have a, a roster spot to burn, I'm interested. Uh, I thought he was the best looking of the non-Andrews tight ends in preseason, but again, that's preseason. Um, beyond that, how do the Ravens set up uh, against this Chargers defense? Well, I'd like to say good, you know, very well, things like that. That is what I think. 
I do worry though. You know, I'm I'm kind of a you know Lamar fan, a little bit of a, a Ravens fan. I, I I worry about jinxing you know good fortune for them by by expecting it. But the Chargers defense, uh, I'm not sure if their whole deal is is good for countering what Lamar and this offense presents. I, like I'm worried in some ways that the Munkin approach this point might play a little into the hands of the the Chargers and that. Staley believes in this kind of defense where you're playing just like off coverage at corner and trying to jump underneath passes with, I th- I feel like it's slightly informed by the assumption that like, well, uh, the most efficient way to run an offense is to pass in the short and intermediate. So that's where we'll spam. And I don't I don't believe the premise of that. I think it's false, but t- the Munkin offense has run more that way than in, in previous years. Like Lamar is throwing more underneath than in previous years. I think it's, uh, among the reasons why his completion percentage is higher this year, but by quite a bit, but they're short of Beckham staying hot the way that he has. There was also going to be the certainty that Lamar's yards per attempt dropped over the course of the year, because it, you're, if you're completing almost 70% of your passes at 7.7 yards per attempt, you need to either be like drew breeze level prolific and, and, you know, killing it downfield uh, to offset the substantial volume of underneath passes or your yards per attempt is going to trend towards seven or so. Uh, and y- mm-hmm. you need big plays to offset that. They weren't making big plays. Uh, that Flowers one would have been nice. Uh, Beckham has been doing things to that effect, of course. But if those two fail to do it, I worry that they, the, the Ravens might have a tendency to kind of like throw into the cushions that the Chargers corners tend to line up with. So the way you hurt them for that, though, is running the ball well. And this is why I feel like if need be, the, the Ravens should be able to be fine by making the Chargers pay with the run game. And maybe the run game goes off either way. I don't know. But uh, if the Chargers are kind of spamming the short intermediate that Lamar has been throwing to, and if they're keeping the corners with a cushion to kind of like bait that particular throw, then you just got to kind of bash them to pieces up front. And so until they start lining up a little closer to the line of scrimmage and then, you know, get, get going downfield again at that point. But uh yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like this should be an okay spot for the Ravens, even without Andrews. I'd, I'd really like to say something to the effect of like, can I get forty snaps from Beckham? But I I can't tell if that's getting too greedy. Uh, right, because you know he's a little bit, uh, shall we say, not not so durable. Um, but but when he's out there right now, he he looks awesome. But yeah. um, I think this this is a great setup for for um, for Gus Edwards. I, I could see him having at least one touchdown in this game. And for anyone who had sour grapes about Keaton Mitchell last week, uh, to, to quote Scarecrow from uh, the film Batman uh, Begins, right, to Christopher Nolan, I said it would take you places. I didn't tell you it would take you places that you wanted to go. This part of the Keaton Mitchell experience, anyone who was uh, whining on Twitter about Keaton Mitchell not doing enough for their fantasy team last week, you're not a real one. You know that those games were were possible for for him in the same way that a, a disappearance act for from Devin Achan is certainly yeah. in the realm of possibilities. If if you panic dropped him, I hope I'm in your league because I'm going to scoop him up and I would like to play Keaton Mitchell this week. I think this is a good spot for him too. Yeah, we always knew the deal with Mitchell and Achan was like the same thing, and it's so funny how you can very specifically state the case that way that like you know there's there's going to be fluctuation just for the fa- the fact that he doesn't get enough carries to 
give you a good box score when the big plays aren't there and the big plays aren't always going to be there. Like he's not literally going to average 12 yards a carry forever. So necessarily there will be some regressions at some point in time. It is, it is necessarily true that this will happen. And there's still just, you know, a thousand guys out there <laughs> conservatively who will be like, what the hell? It, they said this guy was good. It's like, we didn't say he would run for 4,000 yards, which did you think that was going to happen? I don't, I, I can't tell what anyone actually believes anymore. Like we're just kind of like just uh, bundles of nerves and impulses, just, just screaming for, for, you know, treats and attention. And, and I don't, I don't know if anyone really believes or thinks anything hardly ever anymore, but uh, yeah, the people who were complaining about Keaton Mitchell to the extent that they weren't just kind of trying to like absolve themselves of responsibility or whatever, they can hopefully find some solace in, you know, similarly to how Mitchell will not average 12 yards a carry on 10 carries every game for his whole career. He's also not going to finish that many games with like three yards a carry. So it it goes both ways. It, it, it's not always the one way. And uh, understanding that is how you, um, you know, have the appropriate perspective and don't lead yourself to cut the guy out of like some kind of misplaced, you know, angst toward uh, the, the, the one-off game he had. Where are my six carries for 100 yards and two touchdowns? That, that's all I signed Simply up for. Do it. Yeah, Simply do, do it. Simply do it for me. Come on. Come on. I started him. I use, I use my fab budget. Um, on the Chargers side, uh, how do they match up against Baltimore? Uh, I don't know. I the, the Ravens' defense is difficult for me to figure out. I, I don't think they're very good. I think they're good. I don't think they're great, but I have no respect at all for the Chargers offensive approach. And uh, anytime you're, you're down to just Keenan Allen, like there's, there's just such a narrow channeling of the production. Herbert made it work a little by running for 70 yards last week, but any game where Keenan Allen doesn't get to a hundred yards is one where Herbert is usually struggling to do something, especially if it's a, it's a vaguely competent defense, which, you know, I, I don't think we're, I don't think it's too much to assume the Ra- the Ravens are at least that. Uh, so, like, even as somebody who loves Herbert, you know, like that the matchup, I guess enough for Allen and that every week they're dependent on giving him ten plus targets. But Allen might be slowed a little bit by Kyle Hamilton. Like Kyle Hamilton, I don't have a good sense of if he's a little too big to be going against a guy like Allen. But Allen was never a speed receiver. Uh, he, he's 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 actually quite quick and good at like start stop things like that change of direction especially for how big he is but Keenan Allen is not fast and Kyle Hamilton in the slot has just so much reach and like presence that I, I do worry a little bit that some of Allen's go-to routes might not return here as easily as like some other settings and in any case where Allen doesn't do what the Chargers need him to things tend to fall apart so I don't I don't know I, I don't I don't want to say Herbert has a bad game and I don't want to say Allen has a bad game, but as far as like picking the winner, I don't think either of them is close enough to their upper range of outcomes here for the chargers to keep pace from even like a middle range outcome from the Ravens. If the Ravens have one of their better games on offense, I don't know what the chargers can really do about it. Like they need it to be low scoring and kind of low ambition. I think if this gets ugly, are we talking about fired? Brandon Staley this time next week. Uh, I don't know about in season. I, I think he's pretty clearly not very good. My, my only gripe, the only, the only reason I would say not 
not Staley, not yet, is the GM, Tom Telesco, one of the biggest frauds. Like, I know there's a bunch of these idiots who have been running teams <laughs> for a long time. You know, this, like, I can't just say Telesco's the woat when, you know, Steve Kine was just uh, gracing us with his presence. But man, Telesco really is incredibly bad. And if the Chargers let him fire Staley and then don't fire Telesco, they might find a way to get worse next year. That's uh, it's not what you want when you you sunk all that money into, into your quarterback and then you just have a terrible uh, team around him. That's uh, it's a tough, tough sequence there. And and uh, one last injury uh, update: Marlon Humphrey, I think, is going to be available for for this game. Uh, that really sucks for the Chargers. Then, yep, very badly. And then uh, let's wrap it up. Long pod for y'all this week on a holiday week. We're working hard for you guys, so you guys can not work hard at your jobs. Bears-Vikings, rounding it out. This 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 game is eminently more watchable, I feel like, than I would have ever imagined coming into this season. It, it, it could be. I, I don't want to give the Bears too little credit John, I think the Getsy can still screw up pretty much anything. Sure. And uh they they're just they're such a goofball of an organization. I just I, I feel like they're a wild card fact factor. Um the Vikings are a little more reliable, I think. Brian Flores has had some success implementing an identity on defense. I still think the defense is not very good. I think the to the extent that their their metrics are encouraging is basically a reflection of their their easy schedule slash just the, the low quality of quarterback play across the entire league at the moment, uh, low, low quality offense in general across the league at the moment. Uh, so I don't look at the bears offense and see the, the Vikings defense as having an obvious advantage. Like it, you could under, you could see the case for it. I, I don't, I don't mean to like say there's nothing there. I just, I don't believe in the Vikings defense more than I do the talent of players like Justin Fields, DJ Moore, uh, even those running backs might be able to do a little bit against the Vikings defense. I don't know, but DJ Moore, Justin Fields, Darnell Mooney too. Darnell Mooney can dust these corners. There's no doubt about it. So uh, I feel like there's opportunity there for the bears. The blitzing will be aggressive. I, I don't have a, I don't remember if there's any split stats about fields against blitzes. I assume they're bad just because it's like pretty much all the passing situations have been bad for the bears, but the Vikings are a team that blitzes more than any other league like you know, they do it constantly and if if fields has a little bit of that Derek Carr in him I don't know if he does I don't really believe that he does uh this would be a good case study on whether he does though but if fields has a little bit of that Derek Carr thing where he just starts to coil up the second he sees a fifth rusher then that could that would be a way for it to turn badly for the bears here but as long as fields plays with poise and I feel like that's more what he usually is I feel like Whereas Carr freaks out and panics and starts to like shut down his his processing and hides uh, fields, it's more like he stares a beat too long sometimes. Like he's waiting to see something a little too long, and that's different. That's not the same as being scared by the blitz. So um, if if Fields' moments of indecision are are because of of like being a looky loo basically, as opposed to kind of flinching, you know, flinching in response to to this motion, then he should be fine. His rushing ability, big play ability as a passer should manifest. And if it does, I don't know if the Vikings can respond at that point. 
Um, but definitely don't want to. By the way, do we know if Justin Jefferson's playing for this? Um, he, I think he continues to to toe the line of like I'm not yeah. going to play unless I'm fully healthy, and I I'm not convinced that he is just yet. Yeah, if he's out, I think the Bears got a really good shot, really, because there's only so much smoke and mirrors you can do with Josh Dobbs as a passer. His running is a constant. And that's that's something he's 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 legitimately like a, a big efficiency, big volume runner at quarterback. But th- that first like those passing stats from that first game against the Saints, I'm not expecting something like that here. Even though the Bears no, are a much worse defense, it, exactly. So I, I I do think that the Bears can go ahead and and get uh, the the cover here. They they played well in prime time uh, before the season. Although those were Thursday games, this is a different. This is a Monday night game, but three and a half <laughs> points. I think that the Bears can hang in there. Um, but let's wrap it up for us here on uh, the Thanksgiving week edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, breaking down every single game on the slate this week. From Mario and myself, wish all of our listeners a happy and healthy Thanksgiving, and we will catch you guys next week. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools. Rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.